Hey, hey, welcome to the Phil Drysdale Show. This week we have Jeff Turner, who I've been connected to with probably over a decade now. And I've watched him uh, publicly unravel in his faith and rebuild something beautiful. And um, what I love about Jeff is his ability to communicate something that is extraordinarily complex and whittle it down to something so simple to understand without leaving behind the, the complexity and the nuance. Um, he's an incredible thinker. He's an incredibly gracious person. Um, he uh, is often coming from things from a total another level. He, it, it, from from my perspective, uh, seems to have transcended a lot of our dualities and um, is able to look at things from a much more um, enlightened perspective. And so I am really looking forward to this chat. Um, I hope you enjoy it. Let's dive right in. Brilliant. Awesome. Dudes, yeah. Man. I, I, I'm in awe. It's, it's, it's awesome. I, I've got to say, one of the things that I love about you is um, I've, I've watched a lot of people go on um, similar trajectories and similar journeys to me. Um, and I, I have to say that it might be that you were just a bit wiser about how you uh, went about uh, doing that publicly. But it feels like you missed a lot of the pitfalls that I at least fell into and I see a lot of other people falling into. Um, and when I'm going on, um, uh, when I'm trying to help people go on their journey, I can see people falling into the same traps I went into of, of you know, when we shift in our beliefs, the dualisms that are involved, where we just basically flip the coin and we're in exactly the same coin. We're just, you know, wailing on the other side now. Um, I've got to say, I don't know if I just missed that season in you or if that was part of your journey, but. Um, it's something I see you demonstrate really, really well again and again and again, your social media posts constantly kind of exposing um, the, the mimetic principles that are at play, the scapegoating, you know, the, the, hey, can you see that by you reacting to that side, you're actually the same as that side. You're actually mm -hmm. transcending this. Um, uh, I, I don't know. Is that something that is fair? Do you think that's something that you, you, you naturally kind of like um, gravitated towards that kind of position or is that something you had to work in yourself? Well, it was definitely, it was definitely something I had to work through. You know, I mean, I, I think um, having been a pastor for many years, one thing I learned is just not to share everything. And, uh, you know, that there's, there's plenty of things that I want to say a lot of times, but I, I, I know that wisdom does say tamp your attitude down sometimes and just yeah. try to distill the wisdom and maybe sometimes keep the emotion out of it because mm. two years from now you might regret that. It's kind of like in an argument with your spouse or whatever. It's like, well, tamp down the emotion, <laughs> you know, and, and don't make any you know, don't act just on pure emotion because you may regret sure. that later on. So yeah. that's one thing I've always tried to do with anything I've put out publicly is to, um, is to stop. And I oftentimes make posts and then delete them and then uh -huh. reword them and delete them and reword them and delete them <laughs> just because I know the spirit and the attitude behind it might not be exactly what I'm trying to convey, you know, and then, um, you know, for me also, it really was every stage of the journey, you always feel like you're more enlightened than you were in the former stage, right? So you always, you always do it. I don't really think you can help that until you're like an old wise sage. I don't really think you can help, but look at a former iteration of yourself and think it less enlightened than the present one. And therefore anyone who matches or looks like that older version of yourself is also less enlightened. I don't think we can really not do that. Mm. Um, but we can certainly learn by experience to stop. And when we're tempted to, think that way and act that way and talk that way 
stop and remember who we were in that moment and remember yeah. how sincere we were and also how necessary that leg of the journey was to where we are right now. And yeah. um, that with, without it, you know, all the different versions of myself, even Hellfire and Brimstone Jeff, which is a Jeff I don't think you ever had the privilege of meeting because I was, uh, I was very much, <laughs> I think we connected because we were both on the Grace wavelength. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But there is a Hellfire and Brimstone version of Jeff somewhere Amazing. way back there. And I still have, um, I still have some of the uh, CDs and maybe even a cassette or two of my oh, preachings from those days. <laughs> and uh, maybe I'll release them to the Patreon. Uh, Dude, that could be like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's like limited yeah. release, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yep. I have some, I've often said I've preached sermons on hell that would make uh, sinners in the hands of an angry God look like a Mother's Day message from Joel Osteen. So, um, (laughs) but but like even that version of myself, I, when I look back at it, I'm like, I, there's absolutely no way that I would be here right now had it not been for that, that, that brought me here. It's, it's all part of the journey. It's the transcendent include thing. And um, that's just one thing I've had to learn over the years is to 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 just not be judgmental of people because they're exactly where I was. I was there and I was totally sincere when I was in that place. You know, I was I was yeah. not um, I wasn't I wasn't the caricature of the hellfire and brimstone guy. I, I really believed this stuff, you know, and I didn't just get up in the pulpit and preach hellfire and brimstone because I wanted to control people or keep the pews dented and the offering bags filled. Mm-hmm. I did it because I really believe people were going to a Christless sulfuric eternity. And I wept over yeah. that and I wanted to save them from it, you know? And so I think a lot of the people that we are often tempted to belittle and berate, we have to stop ourselves and remember our own sincerity yeah. so that we can then project that onto them as well and give them that benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's that concept of everyone is their own hero, right? Like no one, even Hitler, thinks he's doing the right thing. Whatever that yep. twisted story is that has created that narrative, he still yeah. looks at his life and goes, I'm the hero in this story. I'm the main character in the cast and everyone's vying for me. Um, mm-hmm. the, the amount of delusion involved there to realize, well, maybe not everyone is vying for you, mate. Maybe yeah, yeah. Some. <laughs> um, but like, it is, it is really hard to do that, isn't it? Because Mm-hmm. I, I know for me in, in my journey, um, I can look at different stages. I was the hellfire brimstone. I was running around giving out tracks and, you know, preaching the gospel, quote unquote, and, you know, whatever that meant for me at the time. And, and like you said, it was, it was, the, it was, I really didn't want people to be lost. I really wanted people to know the great thing that I had, which really was great for me in the season I was in. It really was yeah. good. It was helpful. And like you're saying as well, I wouldn't be here without that. I wouldn't be yeah. here without the stepping stones I've got. I might be somewhere better. I don't know, but yeah, I actually like knows? where I am in many ways. Um, right. Uh, and I like where I'm going. Hopefully I, I think that's yeah. a good trajectory. Um, but it's, it's, it is hard when um, I, I think there's something in us. I don't know if, you, if, if, if you can, you've, you've observed this in your interactions with different people, but, um, or even maybe your interaction with yourself, but there's something in us that, that can't help when we kind of do move on to demonize where we've been. Um, mm-hmm. what, what do you think that is? Do you think that's uh, just, uh, do you think that's more about us or do you think it's about the systems? Like, do you have thoughts on that? I, I can only really speak for myself and, um, and then of course things I've observed in other people, but I think it's really, um, <laughs> it's a way for us to, we, we, we just, we desperately want to separate from that person. We're embarrassed of that person. You know, mm. we don't, we don't want to be associated with that. And so demonizing that person, 
even as it's present in others yeah. is a way for us to kind of unconsciously separate ourselves from a version of ourselves we would rather pretend never existed you know what yeah. i mean and i think most most people who are doing that and that includes me are, they're warring against themselves you know and um they're warring against that a season of life that maybe we haven't yet come to understand as being sacred and as, as being a part of our journey and as being a part of this larger whole and we're just kind of fractured you know a journey should be like a progression and it's all everything's included and everything it's all one whole thing but sometimes we just break it up you know mm -hmm. and we have like this version of us and this version of us and this version of us and we're depleted and we're spread all over the place and wherever we are right now because we're not including all those former versions of ourselves we're weaker than we would otherwise be you know and i think the gospel really helps us to include all of that like the woman at the well jesus tells her everything she ever did and brings her i think into a state of like completion and wholeness mm. whereas before she's 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 shattered and she's those. scattered yeah exactly but jesus is like and when you run you know if you let's say you take like a um i don't know like a match or a sparkler and you you spin it around wildly you create the illusion of this like tail right but mm. if you stop spinning it everything comes and and it's just this one thing and I think um, when we're always running from that past version of ourselves, we create this illusion of being stretched out and therefore depleted. And so we always feel that depletion. But if we stop, everything comes into oneness and uh, we can see it all as belonging. And I think once we have that experience in our own lives, we're able to extend that grace to others and see it there. But until we deal with ourselves, you know, and until we deal with, with our own self-rejection and self-hatred, not sure we'll ever, we will ever be able to genuinely duplicate that in our relationships with others. We can pretend, but whether or not it's genuine, I guess is, is, um, is debatable. You know, for me, I was, like I said, I was a pastor for many years. I worked with youth for a lot of those years. And, um, when I think back on some of the things that I spoke, some of the things that I preached, <laughs> some of the things Seriously, that right? I did, whew, you know, one, I would have beat the youth pastor up. If, if it was my kid under my care being taught the things that, I, mm. oy, but whatever, you know, uh, I mean, I once preached a hellfire and brimstone sermon where, oh my, you, you ever seen heaven's gates and hell's flames, the old like 1980s, uh, cheesy play where, okay. I already well, want this, to though. <laughs> oh yeah. I In mean, the context great, of it coming up, I'm like, this sounds great. <laughs> it's a fantastic piece of, uh, of evangelical history, but I mean, there'd be these garish sets of like, I don't know. I don't even know where they get the stuff from, but it, heaven is basically constructed out of gold and aluminum foil. And I don't know. It's just, it, it gives you these people's live scenarios and some of them accept Christ, some yeah. don't. And at the end, they all die. And then one goes to heaven and one goes to hell. And anyways, um, I did a version of that, but it was a sermon where I, it was called sermons from hell, where basically I, I preached and laid out the idea of hell. And then we brought back essentially people who are in hell to preach to others wow. who are in the same place that they're in. And I mean, they had like blood on their face. We went over the top with it because I was young and sick. Oh, in the head, dude, I guess. It's, if you're going to do it, do it right. right? Do it right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we had, we had worms coming out of kids faces. Oh, and, um, it was just, it was disgusting, but I had kids for months, perhaps years after that, who had nightmares of this. I bet. And, I bet. and I'm, you know, sometimes I would just look back on that and, just weep and feel mm. so, so guilty. And, uh, mm. yeah, you know, just even things like preaching holiness in such a way that kids were just deprived of simple things like, 
going to their senior prom because it's sinful, you know, and just kind of presenting the gospel in such a way that you just kept people from living. And uh, I I just remember one time I was praying and I was really broken about it because I just, I had been so transformed by grace that I just couldn't imagine ever, ever doing that or being that way. And I really had this sense of the spirit within me just shushing me as I'm like apologizing, you know, and being like, I'm so sorry I was ever this way. And I really just had this sense of this inner, like, just hush, you know? And then I just had this sense of God saying, thank you for always giving everything you have to what Mm. you believe to be true. And it was like, yes, you were wrong. You were very, very wrong. And yes, there's going to have some, some of the people that you ministered to are going to need help as a result of the things that you said to them. And when you can make amends and make it right with them personally, do it. But you're not always going to be able to do that. And in some way you have to, you have to forgive yourself and you have to move on. And, And the way that that was really, that really hit home to me was just hearing that sense of God, you know, and this is an inward experience. Of course, it's all anecdotal, but just the sense of God saying, thank you. Like I can separate your actions from the heart that they sprung, they sprang from. And, um, that was an encounter that was really, really, really pivotal for me and really helped me, I think, even understand and relate to other people as they're on their own journeys and, you know, to maybe not be quite so judgmental. Yeah. It's the sort of thing that something like that makes me think, you know, when I look through like the Pauline epistles or something like that, I'm like, man, I wish that he had written someone at some point and just said, dude, I used to murder Christians. <laughs> yeah. and that has fucked me up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because it's, it must have, right? I mean, you cannot imagine yeah. what Paul, I mean, right. That's how bad we feel maybe preaching a really harrowing hell sermon. And you know, some people are walking around with some religious trauma because of that. Um, yeah. Yeah. But you know, we didn't kill anyone. I don't know. I'm speaking for myself. Right. I don't know. Um, yeah, but no, I'm assuming, I know assuming of, yeah. that wasn't part of your ministry. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Um, but, uh, you know, you think of something like that and you think, man, if, if Paul could kind of integrate that and manage to move forward and become all that he became or whichever, you know, there's a lot of, when you look through history of people that became great, a lot of them have some pretty messed up backstory, right? I mean, that, in fact, yeah. that sometimes is what makes people so great, right? It's, we, yep. we don't like that dynamic of it, but actually sometimes it's the real messed up backstory. You know, it's the abuse, it's the trauma, it's the whatever, it's the violence, it's getting sent to prison and, you know, realizing that you shouldn't have killed people or you were very mm-hmm. racist or whatever. And then you come out and you're totally transformed. Like that's often kind of part and parcel of the journey. Um, yeah. But you do... I struggled with that for a long time. And I, and I know a lot of people come to me and they go, I've, I've wasted all these years. You know, I've, I've lost, you know, I was a pastor for 25 years and I've been teaching people the wrong thing. And, and, and they really struggle to grasp, but you wouldn't have got here otherwise, you know? Yep. Um, and, and I think maybe part of that is it's yeah. On, on my personal level. Yeah. You wouldn't have got here otherwise, Jeff, if you hadn't been preaching those messages or whatever, but there is the mm-hmm. element of like, oh yeah but have i yeah. set someone else on the trajectory that they didn't need to go where they've got to go 25 years before they actually get into um the right thing that's, that's a real tough thing to th- this concept of transcending and including is really tough to grasp it uh, is i it know is. You're, yep. you're using that kind of language you know wilbur uh roar you know um jungian kind of language i don't know if that is kind of stuff you're familiar with but how how did you get to the place where you started to 
um, see life a little bit more as a journey to hold the stages that you're at and have been at a little looser? Like what, what's been your journey from being that fire and brimstone um, pastor? I, I never even knew that, but you came into mm. grace and, and, and you've gone beyond that into something different and new now that the kind of stuff we're talking about now, like how did you navigate that? Was that a painful process? Was that exciting for you? Like maybe mm -hmm. a little of everything. Yeah. Um, um, I, I, it, it was, it was, it was pure hell a lot of times, you know, I mean, it really was, um, you know, like I said, I'm, I, I was never, I was never fake with what I did. And I don't say that to toot my own horn. It's just not the way that I'm wired, you know? So, um, as a young man, I was 14, 15 years old. Um, my family traveled down to Pensacola, Florida to the Brownsville revival. I don't know if you're familiar mm -hmm. with that and yep. the kind of renewal movements of the nineties. And, um, that, that's Rodney Howard Brown one, right? Is that, Pensacola? That was in Lakeland. Um, okay, no, this was cool. Brownsville was like John Kilpatrick, Steve Hill. Yes. Um, okay. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So we traveled down there in the in the mid nineties. I grew up in Assemblies of God home. And this was an Assemblies of God church. We only lived an hour from. We still only live an hour from Toronto, but we never met, went to Toronto because it wasn't Assemblies of God enough for us. Okay. <laughs> but Brownsville. Brownsville was Assemblies that of was God enough for us. Yeah. So we went down there, and um, I had a really kind of radical transformation, and. Um, you know, call it, uh, call it the crowd, call it what, what you will, but very impacted by mm. what I experienced there. And my life really took a turn. And I mean, I, I began to, um, I, I prayed four, six, eight, sometimes 12 hours a day during that period of time. Wow. And I don't just mean for like a couple weeks, I mean, years, my high school years. I mean, I paced, we had a pool table in our basement and I would just pace around the pool table all night praying because I have to move when I pray. And I mean, literally to the point where I wore grooves in the carpet around the table and you can still right. see it to this day. I mean, <laughs> I, I became very, very obsessed with and by yeah. this whole thing. And, and I went after it with sincerity. I went after it with purity of heart, I think. But um, dude, it was killing me, you know? And mm. there was always this, I'm a kid, you know, at the time. So there's always these two parts of your life. You know, you're, you're doing this and then you go to school and well, I can't exactly do this all the time. So right. I'm always struggling with these two parts of myself. And uh, But about 17, 18, I really plugged in and got serious with it and decided I was going to go into the ministry and whatever. My wife and I, we, we get engaged um, right out of high school. I get married wow. when I'm two weeks, 19. And two weeks later, we moved to Florida to join up with the ministry school in Pensacola and Brownsville. And, um, and I'm just, I'm as radical as they come in those days. I just, yeah. I mean, I eat, drink, breathe, sleep, revival, holiness, prayer, you know, fasting, you know, you name it. You know, David Hogan was my favorite person on this planet. I listened to Amazing. like thousands of hours of his <laughs> screamings and demon stories and everything else. And I mean, I just was absolutely obsessed with this. And uh, while at Brownsville, I started to have dreams where mm. different preachers whom I respected would would just come in my dreams and preach grace to me wow things i never heard or if i did i didn't i didn't remember hearing them sure and these preachers would have never actually said these things these this was not their message okay. at all but i respected them and so it kind of what they were saying i think mm. it kind of bypassed because i respected that individual and so yeah. i think that's maybe one There's of the packaging you could accept really yeah exactly yeah so it was smuggled in trojan horse style and um, I was I was hearing and receiving the stuff, and I mean I, I'd be weeping in the dreams because I was so burdened down with works and all this stuff. And mm. I, I'd wake up, and for a second I'd feel like, well, that was real. And then I'd go into 
binding and loosing and rebuking the devil, thinking the devil was trying to get in to deceive me, you know, yeah. literally putting frankincense and burr anointing oil over my headboard to keep this stuff out. That's the, uh, yeah, that's the Pentecostal it, dream. Yeah. Yeah. It's the Pentecostal dream catcher. Um, yeah. so, you know, um, it, it, but, but something was happening in me too, you know, like mm. I, my heart was being softened and I remember Mike Bickle came to Brownsville and now when I look at Mike Bickle, he seems like a hellfire and brimstone type, but at the time he was Mr. Softy sure. compared to what wow. I was used to because he's preaching song of Solomon, the love of God and things like this. Yeah. And those are just ideas I'd never entertained. And he, he comes in, I remember he's preaching on, um, how when some of us stand before God for judgment, we, we think it's only going to be the bad that God brings forth and shows us. He was like, but what if as his bride, God brings forth the beauty from within you? And that's how he judges you. Mm-hmm. I had never even considered that in my early 20s. I was like, what, 21 at the time or 20 at the time? No one had ever said anything like that to me. Judgment was only hellfire and brimstone. And I remember hearing that and it just woke something up in me and shook me to my core. And I held on to it for a couple of days. And then after a couple of days, I consciously renounced it and let it go. And was like, no, this is not who you are. This is not the nature of God. And from that point on, I was kind of like plunged into this really dark season of hardcore fundamentalism, just straining and stressing myself out. I mean, practically almost destroyed my marriage because of it and how intense I was and the pressure that I put on my wife and, and everything else. And then we, was she as intense as you? How, how, what, where was she at in this process? She was supportive of me, but she was never quite like me. You know what I'm saying? So she would, she was she was a good wife and she was yeah. supportive and, and and believed in me she believed in me but never had she doesn't have that the same disposition and so of course that would sometimes cause you know some tension yeah, but of uh course. um at the time i was totally blind to it you know at the time i was just so caught up in doing my own thing i didn't even really notice that was happening i i'm just mm. assumed we're on the same page you're on board okay let's do this you know i um that's that's a that's one of those versions of Jeff I've really had to uh, learn to forgive and include because yeah. he's one I'm not exactly all that fond of because he hurt people that I love right yeah. so um but but it took me really crashing it really took me crashing it took me really you know I always imagine the scene from um, uh, the Truman Show where he's just sailing into what looks like open skies and then suddenly he crashes he into it. it. You know, and, and it really took something like that for me where I really uh, thought, you know, I'm doing it. And then, <clears throat> oh my God, I'm not doing it, you know? And um, it took me really having to come face to face with what this was doing to my marriage, to my family, um, even to people I'm ministering to that I thought I was helping. Um, it, it really took me just hitting a wall and seeing that so much of this just doesn't work. It works yeah. if you're, if, if, if it's you alone in this hermetically sealed environment yeah. and you never have to be touched by the outside world. I mean, it works there, but it doesn't work out here. You think and, it's a um, part of personality in that as well? Like, cause I, I'm, I'm a bit like you, I think from just hearing about your mm-hmm. story, I'm like very driven. I'm a workaholic. I have my own story of how much I've hurt people by Mm-hmm. throwing myself 100% into one thing and real and failing to realize that actually I'm not one thing. I'm kind of like this mixture of Phil's that has yeah. family and people he loves. And, and there are people that are built very differently from us. In fact, most yes. people, it seems are built very yeah. differently than us. Yeah. Um, and do you think there's that, that's maybe part of it as well, that it, it, it takes quite a lot for someone that's very intense and single-minded to hit that crashing point where other people probably mm-hmm. hit it much quicker. 
realize, yeah, I'm not able to just walk around a pool table for 12 hours a day. Most 17 year olds are going to realize that really quickly, right? Yeah, um, yeah. You know, when you're working with youth, I bet most of your youth weren't having that problem. Uh, my parents yeah. need to get new carpets every couple of years. Like, yeah, we didn't have we didn't have very few cases of that. Yeah. So, <laughs> or we had very few cases of that, rather. So I just, I just I'm just intrigued as to like how much of that beginning aspect is so interwoven into your very personality your makeup you know that driven side of you it's fascinating anyway on you go please sorry yeah no and and i do think it's personality and i also think i think it's a i've I've come to see that drive and that season of life as being something of a gift because as you said many never hit that wall Mm. and so they can live the rest of their lives under the delusion that there is something to this right because they never go as far as the wall. You know, they they either stay in whatever the little city is. Truman well, they turn in. back when yeah. the storm starts, right? You know, and, and exactly. it took a yep. very specific moment for Truman to go, I'm gonna keep going. Like that's exactly. some seriously sketchy life choices in some ways, you know, you yep. gotta really it make is. that choice. Most people go, uh, yep. I'm good. I think I'm gonna turn back to what I know yep. and what's working. Yeah, and yeah. so that, yeah, and they, they never hit the wall. And so they're never able to exit and and be this newly created person. And I think it's a I, I think this disposition is actually something of a gift because I and and you and others who have that kind of obsessive personality are able to, with experience, look at people and say, "Hey, man, I'm telling you, I have I have I have walked this path as far as it can be walked, mm. and there isn't." at the end of it, there is not what you've been told is at the end of it. And so I, I really think it's a gift. And I think it's, you know, Jesus says the blind can't lead the blind because you'll both fall into a ditch. But I think the ditch is exactly what some of us need. And so in a sense, the blind can lead the blind because the ditch is where you need to be led. So you can realize I'm following the wrong path and the wrong thing. And so that's what that whole season of life really, really was for me. I, I think it was, um, it was a gift so that I can now on the other side of it, say, okay, I now know for a fact that this path does not lead where I was told it leads, you know, and um, I, I think I can speak with more conviction because of that. Um, but at that, at that point, it, it, you know, like, I, I think I probably became a pastor way too young and I wasn't prepared for the human suffering I'd encounter, just the various situations I'd encounter and how much it would take out of me you know, because mm-hmm. I'm the man of the hour, full of faith and power. I'm going to be the next John G. Lake, Smith Wigglesworth, whatever got, you know, um, Roberts Lee Arden. If he lives long enough, we'll have to uh, write a whole nother God's general book <laughs> just about me. You know, that's kind of the hope. That's kind of the history yeah. maker thing we grew up with in the nineties and early two thousands. And, um, boy, I found myself in the midst of pastoring and it just wasn't working mm-hmm. and I wasn't doing anything wrong. I mean, as far as I knew, I was yeah. still praying and fasting every other day and going after God. I, I started and failed more 40 day fast than anybody on the planet probably. And that's a bit of an exaggeration, I'm sure. But you know, I was going for it and stuff just wasn't working. People were dying who weren't supposed to be dying. Um, you know, cancers that were supposed to be melting under my touch were taking people out in aggressively in like a matter of a month. And, and this was a, I'll never forget being one guy's, um, this guy had been a part of our lives for decades, you know, even from when I was a kid and and now I'm here serving as one of his pastors and he's dying of cancer, aggressive cancer. And, uh, you know, praying for him, I'm, I'm in that, I'm in that mindset of this is, you know, John G. Lake, you know, he's, yeah. you put plague on his hand and it dies. I mean, certainly it's going to die when I touch it. And I'm in that mindset and I'm, I'm 
And this guy before my eyes, I thought he died, you know, and then uh-huh. he's fighting and holding on because his family's all around him. And then he like gasps and comes to and like grabs his son and is like, you know, just oh, promise me you'll always stay together. And he's like fighting to breathe and stay alive. And in that moment, I just realized how useless I was. I don't, not yeah. really, but like you I came in as the, the awkward m- element in this room, really. <laughs> exactly. And I'm like, okay, the Homer Simpson into the bushes. Like, I don't, yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't belong here in this moment. I, I, my presence is not having the effect it was supposed to have. And wow. I, yeah. It was moments like that of just that a guy like me, things are supposed to go a different way for you than they were going. And it just showed me that this is not working. Mm-hmm. And then when it really began to affect my, my familial relationships, my relationship with my wife, it, a lot of it just came crashing down. And so the experience was, was really hellish at the time, you know, yeah. and uh, several years of just really, you know, I can only call it a dark night of the soul, death of God experience where mm. I just didn't know what way was up, what, which way was down. And I was still trying. And, um, and that's the book. I, the last book I wrote, the atheistic theist, a lot of it mm. comes out of that, of that season because I really did for a while just lose God entirely, you know, and uh, I, I didn't know if I believed anything anymore, you know, and I'm preaching and I'm teaching still, but it, I'm doing so as like for all and purposes as an, as an atheist on some of, yeah. some of these occasions. And I've come to find out that if a pastor hasn't preached as an atheist on at least two occasions in his life, he's probably shouldn't be preaching anyways. But uh, <laughs> um, it was, it was, it was tough, man. It was really, really yeah, rough. I bet. But, I also feel like it really purified my understanding of God. And I think it had, it had to happen. I'm not saying it was the plan of God that it happened that way. I'm sure it could have happened many other ways, Yeah. but, but for me and for the way that I'm wired, I think that I had to, I had to have the extreme breaking in order to really be freed from those thoughts and those ideas. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's, I mean, we, we all know this, we see people, you know, you can maybe, maybe it's a bit easier um, as adults looking at small children or whatever. And you, you try and teach certain children certain lessons, yep. right? And you're like, well, this worked for little Julie, but for Barbara, man, she is not picking it up. And it's like, yep. she's going to walk off that bit into the ditch. And yep. it's like, I've yep. tried telling her, I've tried asking Julie to tell her that she's learned that it doesn't work and she's going for the ditch. She's like, screw you guys. I'm going for the ditch. And you're like, yes okay, let's do the ditch. I'll, I'll yeah. get 911 in the speed dial ready to go for right, the ambulance, right. <laughs> you know, but I, yeah. I can't not make you go for the ditch. Um, yeah. and, and I think it is, it is frustrating um, that we all probably have those um, blind sides in our life. Like, and so mm-hmm. for some of us, it might not be in faith. It might be in our relationships. It might be whatever, you know, in work or, or whatever. Um, but there is something, I mean, I've got to say your book, Atheist, Theist, uh, I, I recommend it heavily. It's in my book list that I recommend. Like it's, it's a fantastic uh, book and it captures that you, you learned through this process, right? It wasn't just that dark night of the soul that you just crumbled away yeah. and that was it. I mean, this is some profound kind of like process and some profound wisdom and truth comes out of it. Um, and, and I do wonder actually sometimes if, if, if God is remotely worried about these kind of things, you know, a lot, uh, it's, it feels that so much of Christianity is about avoiding the ditches. You know, like you're saying, mm-hmm. you're, you're in the room with the dying person and, and all you can think, you put your blinkers on and you were like, I need to save this person. I need to heal yeah. this person. I need to whatever. Um, and having been in the room of dying people, especially pe- people connected to me, like my mother or, you know, like, and you're like, 
I, I don't need you to be healed right now in a sense. I, I, obviously, that's my first choice. Yes. Yeah. But actually, for me to fixate on that and then for my mother to die, I've lost a lot of potential that was there. There's, there's the potential mm -hmm. of connecting. There's a potential of, of learning something deep from this moment, from being present in her suffering, with her suffering, with her. You know, and we kind of, we, we do miss a lot of those things. Um, I'm really fascinated by, um, I guess, just how how we quantify what's good and bad, really, I guess, is, is, is what it boils down to, right? So I see yeah. the ditch as bad. If I need to call mm -hmm. 911 for an ambulance, well, something bad has happened. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it makes me think of, you know, the Chinese uh, proverb um, of the farmer who loses his horses. I don't know if you've heard this, but there's a farmer. He loses uh, one of his uh, horses, runs away, yeah. Yeah. comes back, um, and it brings like five wild horses. And everyone's like, this is good. And he's like, maybe. Um, yeah. And the next day, his son's rearing the horse, the wild horses, and he breaks his arm. And everyone's like, oh, that's bad. And he's like, oh, maybe. And then he can't go to war because he's broken his arm. And they're like, oh, that's good news. Maybe. And, and it just keeps going because what we think is good turns out to be bad. But then because yeah. we've labeled it bad, actually, it does turn out to be good. And, and we just don't know. Um, mm -hmm. Do you think that's... Um, do you think that's an, like a, a cosmic truth that we, we can kind of hold? Or do you think maybe, uh, I, there's probably a bit more nuance to it than to just, well, nothing's good, nothing's bad. I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm mm -hmm. not at all saying, you know, rape is good, murder is good, um, right, or, right. or it's not bad, I, I guess is what I'm not saying. Um, do, do, you, do you think there's something in the way people approach faith that is too rooted in these judgments of this is good and this is bad. This is what the situation should look like. This is the outcome that we should be having. This is what I should be doing. All these kind of like yeah. um, very black and white determinisms mm -hmm. of what's right and what's wrong. Do, do, yeah. do you have thoughts on that? Cause it feels like it, that's something that you kind of yeah. demonstrate really well in, in the way that you mm -hmm. write and, and what you talk about, mm -hmm. how you communicate with people. Yeah, absolutely. I do. And I think, um, you know, I think we um, like the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in Eden as a metaphor, you know, I don't think it was necessarily the fact that they were never supposed to eat of it. It's just mm -hmm. that in the state they were in, they couldn't have handled it yet. But I do think had that spoke not been that that spike not been shoved in the spoke of the bicycle of perfection that in the story as they matured, they would have been allowed to, and God would have shared that with them. And I, I think it does take a journey and some maturity to kind of be, begin to actually deal with concepts of good and evil correctly. Because mm -hmm. I think in immaturity, those are things we just use to, again, you know, otherize and not only out here externally with people, but even in ourselves. Um, I think, uh, when it comes to like good and evil and things happening to us in our lives, I, I really like the Kabbalistic concept of Zimzam, you know, which says that God creates a space within God's self where his presence is not overbearing and overwhelming because if the infinite creates the finite, once the finite emerges from the infinite, the infinite will immediately consume it and it'll never have a chance to be and become and grow and be created. And so God creates a space within God's self. And this is just a metaphor, of course, but I think it works that God creates a space within God's self. It's not apart from him, but where creation can actually come forth and be created without being immediately swallowed up by yeah. the infinite nature of the creator. So it, it's like the helicopter parent, you know, um, God, God, in a sense, steps back, but not 
in a sense of separating himself from us. It's not, it's not the same thing. It's actually a form of presence by stepping back because it's intentional. Like when I let my children experience consequences for their actions, that's not me abandoning them. That's actually a form of presence. It's actually an extension of myself, even if it requires me maybe taking a step back. I'm still actually working and doing something, you know, by stepping yeah. back. And I think, um, I think a lot of life is way less controlled and way less dominated by either God or darkness than we think it is. And I think a lot of times things just happen in this space where God is not overwhelming what he's created, but he's allowing um, what we are to come forth. And I think, you know, we'll call it good and evil. And um, then we think we we understand the universe and we understand what's going on. But I, I don't think we really do. I think yeah. there is more potential in us than we'll ever realize. And if God hovers, he will smother that potential. Mm. And so I, I think it's like a haiku, you know, a very, very uh, simple and short poem. I mean, what is it? Five, seven and five, three lines yeah. of five, seven and five syllables, I think. And yet more emotion can be packed into a haiku than some people can pack into an entire novel. And that's because the page is mostly blank and every word is intentional and the mostly blank page puts a pressure on those words Mm. and their potential comes forth. But if you cram the page with words, sometimes even very intentional words will lose their potential will just be skimmed right over. And so I think, I think the way that the world works is probably more like that, that Mm. God, it's not always just a matter of, you know, good and evil directly affecting and interacting with us. It's, something probably much more like the full nature of God resides within you. And God allows you to exist in a world where the good and the bad will touch your life. And it's not a result of him pushing any buttons or pulling any levers. Mm. It's just the world happens. I mean, in the crab nebula, there's, there's all kinds of chaos going on. It's just that so far as we know, some of those molecules aren't conscious. So they're not like judging the situation. Like, why yeah. is everything always exploding up here? What's with all this gas? I mean, they're not thinking that way, you know, and, but we're, we're a segment of the cosmos that God has woken up. And yeah. so when we experience that same kind of chaos, we judge it and we yeah. say it's either this or it's that. But I think in fact, it's us just being allowed to live in this space mm-hmm. where chaos is present. Order is present. Beauty is present. Ugliness is present. Um, you can look at, a sunrise coming over the ocean and or sunset and it's beautiful. Somebody else could be getting attacked by a great white shark a few miles away in the same ocean. And your experience <laughs> of the same thing is very different. He's not you know, enjoying like, the sunset. <laughs> yeah. He's not enjoying it. And it's like, it's not, it, 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 but it's not a matter of God doing this or the devil doing this. I think it's God allowing us to live in a universe where things happen and we can interact with him in this universe and he will interact with us as well. But I think, um, yeah, just to speak to what you were saying, I don't, I don't think everything's this simple matter of, of good and evil. And uh, yeah. we want it to be because we want control. We want to know. We want certainty. We want to be able to divide our lives up into those neat little packages. But I, yeah. but I just don't think it works that way. And I think the older we get and the more we – it doesn't even really necessarily come with age. But the more we um, are on this journey and embrace this journey, um, I think the more we come to see that. Yeah. Do you see, do you see, I guess one of the things that I, I like that you said it didn't come, it doesn't necessarily come with age. I do think that age is um, to some degree something that 
it gives us a longer time to realize this, right? I probably, if nothing yeah. else, that's basically it, right? Sometimes yeah. I'm stupid enough that I just need the extra 20 years, you know, like that's yeah, right, just it, right? right? Um, but so I think age does play into like you increasing in your chances of it. Although certain, I guess certain personalities, the longer you live in something, the more you knuckle down as well. And, and so there is that yeah. as well. But do you think, um, what do you think is, because this works individually, but it also works um, as, as a grander, um, scheme of things like the species, you know, and, and, and to me, I, I, I don't think, I don't see this just working its way out in me, you, someone else I'm reading on Facebook or someone that's attacking me and I'm going, oh, okay, they're being very dualistic. They're deciding what's right and what's wrong. And they might be right. They might be wrong, but I'm not going to try and take it too personally. I'm going to try and transcend above that. It's all very personal. It's all about individuals. But do you think, um, do you think in the same way there's a, there's a trajectory and a scope for humanity as a whole moving beyond this? Like, do you, do you think give us another hundred years, thousand years, I don't know, 10 years, I don't know, hopefully. Um, do you, th do you think that there's a way for humanity to transcend this? Or do you think this is just deeply rooted in who we are? We all will have to go through this to some degree or another. Um, I don't know if you think about that sort of stuff. I, I, I yeah, no, I do. It's just staring at a wall <laughs> yeah. thinking about that kind of thing. So, yeah. Um, uh, in, in, I, I do. And I think, um, but at the same time, I don't think the, I don't think we'll ever overcome the need or the journey or the struggle. I just think the journey and the struggles themselves will evolve, you know, and what it is we're journeying and what it is we're struggling with, I think will evolve. But I think the development of the human, um, I think it's always going to work the same, at least for the foreseeable future, you know, yeah. million years down the, down the line, things might drastically change. I mean, here we are. We're not in trees anymore, you know, where things have changed drastically. But at the same time, the basic things haven't, you know what I mean? Yeah. We're still kind of struggling with the basic things our ancestors, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago struggled with. They just, they're in different forms now because now it's not about food and whatever. It's about mundane stuff really sometimes compared yeah. to maybe what they were facing. But I think that will evolve. But I think the basic struggle will always be there. Um, and that's just my opinion, but I really do. I think, I think we start, I think we all began in Eden and I think it's a metaphor for life. I think that's where we all start and we all start in this place of naivete and simplicity and thinking the world is a certain way and not everybody's Eden looks the same. Some people grow in it, grow up in an Eden where there's child abuse and things like this. And sure. there's, there, you know, when I say naive simplicity, that's not, not necessarily all, a nice, enjoyable thing. It, it's not exactly, but it's all you know. You know. Mine, I, it is. It's all you know, and, and the world works a certain way. But at some point, you partake of some fruit, and you ingest some knowledge, and that forces an expulsion from that place of simplicity and naivete. Yeah. And then you know, Paul Ricoeur says you can either then stand at a critical distance and judge those still within as being naive and simple-minded and stupid, and you know why? Why can't you see what I see? Or you can stand there. Um, looking back at the good old days and wishing you were back in, but the truth of the matter is, the the, the gateway is now guarded, it's done. and you you can never go back in. Once you experience that, um, that once you ingest that knowledge, once life serves you with what with what life serves you, you can't go back in that way. It's over yeah. with. You just can't. And so you can stand there and judge. You can stand there in nostalgia, or you can just begin to walk through the world, right? And and this is um, this is, comes from Paul Ricoeur, but eventually you walk this world and you discover you're walking with God for the broken world. 
world mm-hmm. and you discover the world is larger than Eden and you realize that God can dwell in places other than the perfect and you come to discover God out here. You come to discover God in these places of suffering and brokenness. And well, I never in, in my naive simplicity, I didn't realize this such a thing was even possible. And if you do this long enough, you eventually return to Eden. Only now you've returned to Eden from the other side because you went around the globe. And so now you can actually enter back in. But when you enter back in, you see everything from a different angle and everything from a different perspective. And even though you're in the same place again, nothing is the same. Mm. Not only because you're entering in from a new angle, but also because you're entering in with a new perspective. And now you also understand that I can leave this and I can experience God out here or I can experience God in here. And it, it's, and I think that's the development of the human soul. I think, you know, we, um, Nietzsche calls it the, the parable of the camel, the lion and the child. And thus spoke Zarathustra that we all begin as camels who bear other men's burdens. And we think we chose them. You know, we think we chose these things and we carry them and we carry them gladly until we go into the wilderness and we encounter the dragon called thou shalt. And on every scale, there's another thou shalt written. And then we realize we haven't been, it's, it's not ourselves we've been serving. We've been serving this beast. And so he says, then you become a lion. The camel becomes a lion and he roars his sacred no in the face of the dragon, thou shalt. And he roars no to all the thou shalts. And he's like, but that's not the final stage of development. The final stage of development is the child, which you'd think the child is where you start, but the child mm-hmm. is actually where you should end because I think that's what it is to be born again. You know, it's what Ricoeur called that second naivete where um, I think it's, uh, I can't remember her name. I always forget her name. Um, she's the intellectual heiress of Jung, but you know, she said that um, it's one thing to be a naive idealist and it's another thing to be like a, uh, a bitter jaded um, realist, but it's another thing entirely to hold no delusions and still hold the inner flame, you know? Wow. And I think, I think that's that, journey we all have to go on that we do all begin as naive idealists and then we become bitter jaded realists at some point and there's going to be some overlap and it's not always going to be exactly the same journey for everybody but i think the point is to get back to this place where we don't hold any delusions anymore i'm not in the yeah. simplicity of eden that's been shattered and i'm not the angry lion just roaring no all the time either i'm i'm a child again and, I, and i'm born again and i i choose naivete in a way yeah and it's not because it's my only option I have other options. I've been an atheist for seasons of my life. Mm. I could go back to Christopher Hitchens pretty quickly. I, I mean, I, I, but I choose naivete now and it's a, it's a whole different thing. And so like um, he says, this is where we learn to say a sacred yes. And this is where we actually learn to do the work of creation now is this place of being a child. And um, I, I think that's the journey. And I don't know if we'll ever get over the need for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think as we all do it, generationally we're all kind of on you know because you and i i'm sure we have a very similar journey it might not be exactly the same but i'm sure we've gone through a lot of the same same stages sure and um what's insane to me and i know you have a whole network where you hear these stories and these journeys people are on and things like that is we, we we've all been on the same journey not even knowing it and it was like it always just reminds me of ezekiel's vision the spirit of the living creatures are in the wheels and so whatever way the creatures move the wheels move and it's like yeah. The same, we're all children of the same God. So whatever way that wind is blowing, we're all going to be moving that same direction, even if we don't know anyone else is. And before the advent of social media, we just weren't connected enough to know that we were all on these same journeys. And now we're like, oh, we're all doing the same thing. So I think 
generationally, we are going to grow up and we're going to get over this stage we're in, but I think the next generation is going to have their own. And, um, but I don't think the journey itself will ever, will ever get over the need for that journey. I don't think. Sure. Yeah. yeah. It's almost, it's almost an element of there's, there's, um, maybe more grand reflections of these micro stages that we individually go through maybe culture and society as a whole is moving forward within those but in the midst of that we're still going to have to go through these um yeah. stages is kind of what I, i'm kind of hearing yeah. you say to some degree yeah if you if, um, if you zoom in if you zoom in on i look like a solid object but if you zoom in i'm a i'm not a solid object yeah and all of yeah. these things have to move and do what they do for me to maintain solidity you know and i think what we are corporately and as a whole it's, it's made up of these individual journeys and we can't make it solely about the individual journey we have to connect yeah. to the larger experience but we also have to respect the fact that i think you know because at first i was hyper individualistic and everything was about my relationship with god and then i came to a point where it was like i, I took on a more progressive mindset of um I, I need to jettison the individualism and focus more on corporate stuff and then i also kind of realized that that's also a convenient way of hiding from the things going on in my yeah, life to get lost it. in a corporate reality. And now I just realize it's just both and. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. Something mm -hmm. I'm really intrigued by, because, you know, we're both in, um, uh, in, in our day in day out, a lot of what we're doing is we're sharing our journeys. We're, we're trying to assist people on their journeys. Um, mm -hmm. and, and yet there's this balance between understanding that people We'll go on their journeys at the pace they go on. We'll take yeah. the 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 paths and the slight twists and turns that they take and they need to take. Um, uh, a bit like you tried to stop the kid running into the ditch, but you're mm -hmm. like, oh, okay, I've tried about twenty different things and they're running into the ditch. Okay, fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. Do do you wrestle with that to some degree? Of um, it, it, it almost comes back into this judgment thing of like, um, like you're saying, you can't escape helping. Uh, when you when you do evolve from one stage to a new stage, you can't help on some level looking at the stage you were in and going, oh, that's a stage before where I am now. Um, and, mm -hmm. you know, we can look at different models, spiral dynamics, integral theory, all these different um, models that go, well, no, yes, but no, you know, it's not mm -hmm. about a hierarchical system. But there's something in us that still looks at it hierarchically on some sort of level. Um, and and that's and that's okay as well in some sense as well. I, maybe at a certain stage we transcend that and we completely, you know, I don't know, we become the Buddha and everything's all one. I don't know. Right, but, right, right. Um, <laughs> but do you struggle with the the dynamic of like you want to help people? You want to help people, especially if you go, oh gosh, that's a prior stage, and I know what helped me move into the next stage, and I, I think I might be able to share some insights. Um, do you struggle with the element that on some level you're you're observing this, you're judging? what they should be doing, how they should be moving forward. How do you strike the balance in that when you're trying to communicate truth, help people and um, guide people in their growth without being presumptuous in knowing where they need to go? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah it does. You know, and I think being a parent's kind of helped me see this, that okay. you have a vision for your child's life, you know, and you want them. I think, I don't think you can. I think some people, some people will say, Maybe they're just the most progressive parents on the planet and they're just going to let their child just become whatever they want to be. Nobody really is that way. Everyone has a vision for what they want their child to become. We sure. all do, whether we admit it or not. And we try to gently push them in that direction. Yeah. But at some point, genetics, whatever, take over and you realize they're just not going to be that. 
And I can't force them to be that. And the more that I try to force them to be that, the more miserable they are. I have mm. to let them be carried by who they are. And I have to learn to be a steward of who they are, not force them to be what I want them to be. So you've got to, so when, when you're dealing with individuals on these journeys, I think we can acknowledge and observe that someone is on a journey and um, we don't have to, as you said, judge the stage and be like, oh yeah, you're, you're where I was two stages ago because they might not be. Truth is they might be ahead of me in some yeah. way for all I know. Cause it doesn't always work this way. You know, yeah. I think, I think in some way there are stages that are observable, but it's not going to look that way in my life. Because again, my Eden was quite literally like an Eden. I grew up with two very healthy parents, um, my very functional family. Everything was great. You know, I didn't mm. experience adversity till I was in my twenties, you know, and on my own. I, so, but other people's childhood looks nothing like that. And so the journey is going to look different, even though it might technically be the same stages, the manifestation, how those stages look yeah. are going to be different depending on who you are. Um, so I think in what I do, I did used to be very like, oh no, I, I see where they're going with this. Oh, oh, you don't go down that path. I've seen people go down that path. That's going to lead you into full on atheism, or that's going to lead you into, um, uh, wild eyed fundamentalism, or that's going to lead you into, you know, um, unhinged uh, progressivism, or that's going to lead you into new age thought or what all these, all these things we think we know if people start down this path, Oh no, they're reading the Tao Te Ching. That means they're going here or, or no, or no, they're reading this now. And we think we know, and it's like, we don't know. And, and I've just come to understand that by really observing my own journey. And it's like, I, I have explored all kinds of avenues, all kinds of things, but I just always keep being pulled back to one thing. And I, I think I've learned to trust in others that, you know, that's, I think ultimately that's where you're coming back to as well. And you might, it might take eternity for you to come back to that. And mm. again, that still could be me judging and thinking I know where they're coming back to, but um, all I really have is my own experience to work with. But, you know, I have people who are like, man, if it wasn't for your ministry, I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't be a Christian anymore. And then I have people who are, who are like, man, if it wasn't for you, I'd still be a Christian, you know, and they're yeah. thanking me. Like now I'm an atheist and thank you. And I'm like, you're welcome, okay. I guess, you know, <laughs> but it's like, and, and sometimes, you know, as one who is, I am, I am a Christian. I, I fully embrace that. And, uh, I do, I follow Jesus to the best of my ability every day of my life. And, I, uh, but I also recognize that atheism for some could be the pathway to a purer form of Christianity. And um, mm -hmm. maybe they need to shed all of the religion in order for them to actually embody a Christ-like life. Because maybe when ensconced in religion, they're too oppressed to, yeah. to do that. And maybe there's a goodness in them that is the nature of God that is trying to express itself, but it's just impossible for them to express that in the confines of religion because of you know their programming and how they think of it. And so maybe they need to lose it all in order to actually be liberated to be the good person that they are. And I just have to trust that's the journey. And uh, I can't judge it, you know, and that's who they are, like my children. You know, maybe I wanted you to be an athlete and you're more into uh, computers or, you know, maybe yeah, I yeah. wanted, maybe I wanted you to be a bookworm and you're an athlete. You know, it's like, you just have to observe, okay, this is this person's journey. And it's not my job to be like, Oh no, Oh no, you're getting off, getting off track here. My job is just to recognize they're on a journey. I've been on one on one. Here's some things that have helped me. Maybe they'll help you. If not, feel free to throw it overboard, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, uh, um, yeah. And it's not, it's, all, it's sometimes easier said than done for sure. But, um, 
especially having been a pastor where your job was yeah. kind of micromanaging people's lives, you know, but one that gets so friggin' exhausting, you know, I don't yeah, want to do that. It's so unrealistic, <laughs> isn't it? It is. It is. You can't, it, it's impossible. It doesn't work. And again, just, I've learned from my kids how the vision I had for them when they were born and who they've actually become night and day, absolutely yeah. night and day. And, um, and I couldn't control it. There's nothing I could have even done about it. You know, even the things I put in their lives that I was like, okay, Hey, maybe this will spark an interest in this. No, it doesn't work. There's something in them that's stronger than my influence. And that's, what's going to ultimately win. And my job is just to be like, okay, that's where you're going. Maybe I haven't even gone down that path. Maybe I don't even really understand that, but I'll just be here to help you do it safely and hopefully not hurt yourself in the process of becoming who you are. And I think, um, I think we can, we can know the principle, but not force one down our path. If that yeah. makes any sense. No, absolutely. And I think, man, that's something I struggle with. Like I, 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 I definitely struggle with it less than I used to. Um, mm -hmm. but man, do I like, I struggle with, uh, people coming to me in the past, certainly coming to me and going like, this is what I'm doing. And this is what I'm, it's looking like. And I can go, I'm already going, okay, so that leads to that. And then, okay, so your next going to go there or you're going to go here. And, and how can I help you go to the right one? Or, you know, like there, there's some different junctures you might go down and I want to try and guide you. And, and it's taking me a lot of work to kind of let go of that. Uh, I'm yeah. not, a, I'm not a parent yet. So I, that's, that's probably mm -hmm. a, a big lesson for sure. Like you're saying, um, it, it is really, it's really struck me, you know, one of the things, the group of people, the, the world that kind of has gravitated to me is, is self-described as deconstructing. I, I don't know if I like the term or don't like the term. I, 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 there's mm. pros and cons to different terms and labels. And anytime you put a label on anything, it's immediately captured and lost. Um, but um, it strikes me fascinating that everyone will describe deconstructing a little differently. You know, or mm -hmm. uh, it's one of the things because one of the things I, I did was I started um, people would come to me and go, I, I need, I'm all alone. There's no one like me. And I'm like, trust me, there's people like you. This is the fastest growing movement within Christianity right now uh, in the West, at least. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the largest and fastest growing movement. Um, so there's, there's probably five people on your street. The problem is you don't all get together to go to deconstruction church or, you know, like right, I don't right. go to church church. Um, so I started this little network and called it the deconstruction network. So I thought that will help people put a name to it. And, and, and basically the idea is you can put yourself on a map and you can find other people that are in that location. And it's been great. It's wonderful for people to find each other. But one of the things I, I kind of almost, I, I knew this would have been an issue if I thought about it, but I was, I think I was just naively like, Oh, this would be great. Just let people talk to each other and connect. And maybe it's because I've let go of a lot of my need to judge and for people to be on a certain path. But what struck me is how different people are. So you can click in LA and there's 28 people in LA but if your path of deconstruction, your spiritual path is taking you off one trajectory and you haven't got to the place where you hold things a bit more open, you, you are still a little bit um, dualistic, a bit fundamental about this is the way it should be. So my, my path, my deconstruction is right. You could talk mm -hmm. to the other 27 people in LA and all you're going to do is have a fight. <laughs> you know, like, yep. It, yep. And, and so it really fascinates me. Um, just the diversity of people's journeys, you know, how yeah. um, multifaceted and it, and it strikes me um, for a long time. I, I had the heart to help people that were pastors because I have a great love for the church and my path past is in the church as what I live my life in. 
Um, I want to help people that are going through this because it's just as painful for those that stay in the system to watch people leave as it is for those who mm -hmm. leave looking back going, I wish I could still be there a little bit. Um, yeah. And initially my thought was, oh, if I can just help pastors understand what this is, then they'll be able to deal with it better. The problem is you can't really give them a, oh, this is what it looks like and this is what it is because it is so multifaceted. Um, how, do you, how do you go about engaging with people that are still very much rooted in the, the, the worldview they are, they have maybe a bit more in kind of um, a fundamental Christianity? I don't necessarily mean you're Westboro Baptist, but you know, you could be yeah, quite right, a, right. even progressive liberal, uh, you know, the progressive church can be very fundamental. Um, and so people that are in that place of going, well, this is what Christianity is, this is what faith should look like. How do you go about interacting with those types of people? Because I know they'll send you messages because they send me messages. Or oh, I yeah. know that you probably have a few, maybe friends, family, you know, people from your past. Mm -hmm. How do you go about kind of um, making them feel safe, making them feel um, not threatened in their own faith, that you're not trying to impinge on them? Because I know that's not your heart. But mm -hmm. also strike the balance of being yourself, being authentic, being able yeah. to share where you're at. Like, is that something that, you found you can do well is it something that you struggle with like what's been your path in learning how to have those interactions yeah i think i have an easier time with it now than i did for sure um because i think some of that really kind of died in me during some of the darker seasons where i really kind of lost that vibe of being a proselytizer um mm. because i kind of went in my darker seasons i really just realized how we're all the same thing you know and, and i don't really have the um i don't really have a one-up on you i really don't maybe i have some wisdom to offer but i'm not mr evangelist here to save the world either the deconstructive evangelist or the progressive evangelist or whatever i i, I just you know and um so i think of law something you said though and i don't want to just speak to you and then get back on this but hmm. how deconstruction looks differently for everyone because I remember like in the early days of the grace movement, um, mm. everyone was saying like, man, I cannot wait to see what the next generation looks like who never grew up with all of this legalism. The next generation who grew up only like knowing only pure grace. I can't wait to see what they look like. And I always thought to myself, it might not look like what you want it yeah. to look like because part of development is always a little bit of diverging from what you grew up with. And so if you grow up in pure grace, we may end yeah. up with some deconstruction for the person who grows up in a highly progressive, inclusive environment might temporarily lead them down the path of fundamentalism, yeah. you know? And so that might be what deconstruction looks like for someone, you know? Yeah. And um, because again, they're taking apart their belief system and the structure they were raised in. And um, this is something different maybe, and they might come to the conclusion, this is false and return or whatever, but um, you can't map it out. I think that simply, yeah. you know, and I think people, people really want to think they can control it. And it's like, it's like a child. You can't control a child. You can have all the dreams you want for it, but once that thing is here, it's going to do what it's going to do. Yeah. And you can, you can lend a hand in helping them become that, but you certainly can't control it. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think embracing the idea that deconstruction, it's a phenomenon, but it's not something you can, captured and pinned to a corkboard like a moth and this is yeah. this is what deconstruction looks like it's going to be wildly different depending on the person but the same phenomenon is at work yes. you know and i think i think recognizing the work and the phenomenon 
and how it functions is how you can connect with people. Yeah. Because if someone, let's say someone went, because it is already happening now, I've been doing what I do like online for probably about 10 years now, which I think is probably when we first connected yeah. um, somewhere around that time. And I mean, I, we really have seen things drastically shift in the last 10 years to the point where there are some kids now who, well, were kids when I started who are like 20 now or something like that, or in their mid twenties who are like, yeah, I've been following you since I was like 15 on Facebook and, uh, you know, um, grew up in a more grace filled environment, but now who are actually like, you know, I don't know. I think maybe we need to get back to the fundamentals and they're becoming more fundamentalist in their approach mm. to things. And I'm like, well, that's not what we were trying to do at all. And it's like, hmm, it doesn't matter what you're trying to do. Yeah. People deconstruction is going to do its thing and people are going to journey their journeys. So we have to recognize what the phenomenon, what the action, what the work is and be able to recognize it. And we can relate to people on that level rather than just where they are and what they believe right now. And so that's been the one thing that, uh, I think I've, if I can connect with people at all, it's because I've, I can recognize the phenomenon and we both experienced it and it looks different for both of us, but it's the same thing we're being carried by. And I think it's like Paul says to the Galatians, you know, in Christ, there's no Jew nor Greek, male nor female, female, slave nor free. When we meet on that plane of Christ, our place where we're at, it's all dissolved. Mm. It's all gone and here we are just humans in a process and on a journey and that's who we are in christ yeah. and we may believe completely differently but but when we meet in christ all the things we think define us should melt away and i think that's what church really should be is that like you know i don't care what you believe i don't care if you're an atheist i don't care if you're hardcore no. theist fundamentalist here we can meet together and all those things are dispensed of and we're people on a journey and I can recognize you on yours and you can recognize me on mine. Mm. And that's what we can connect on. And um, it does become more difficult when someone's journey has led them into a place of maybe hardcore judgmentalism because yeah, then it's black it, and white thinking. Right. Yeah. And at that point, I think you have to just be like, well, I'm willing to be here with you if you're willing to be here with me. And if yeah. not, it's okay. And then you have to trust as well that they'll, be carried where they need to go. Yeah. And it's not your job to manipulate and force that person yeah. into a And I think that's what faith is. Faith is trusting. And I think it's Alan Watts who said that faith is basically trusting yourself to the river and trusting that it's going to take you somewhere better than you are right now, essentially. Mm. And faith, it's not only individually, but it can be that corporately as well. Like I can't spend my life trying to control you. So I'm going to, it was, it was even like the thing that I felt like God spoke to me when I was lamenting about my years as a hellfire and brimstone preacher. And I was, how am I going to like help fix and resolve all this? And I really felt God said, where you can make amends, do it where you can help do it. But at the same time, you also have to understand that some things are out of your hand at this point. And even though you might feel responsible, you also have to trust, even though you feel you hurt that they'll come, they'll, they'll journey their journey. And uh, it's not, like where you can do it, but where you can't just trust, you know? Mm. And I think, um, I don't know, really letting go of that control has been really revolutionary for me because I tried to control everything and everyone at one point yeah. in my life. And, um, and it just forced, it, it's, it's terribly exhausting and you're trying to force things to be what they're not. And at the end you think you've put this puzzle together, but it's all just a jumbled mess because you've just shoved mm. pieces where they don't belong anyway. So you're not going to end up with the masterpiece you think you're going to end up with if that's the way you you 
approach the world. But if you trust and let things be, I think you're going to come out with something beautiful at the end. Yeah. I'm intrigued by, um, so this is something that I've so intentionally worked on. <laughs> this intentionality, again, driven, uh, single-minded focus. It's been, how do I, how do I, integrate with people that are on slightly different paths how do i how do i come alongside them and, and just to join them on their journey and, and get excited for them and be their cheerleader and just help them in any way i can and how do i work with that fundamental person that's going to go no yeah no you're completely wrong mm -hmm. I, I laugh because uh um i was thinking of a, a conversation i had with tilly my wife's uh, grandmother who's i don't know how old but you know, seven, late seventies, I think she is. Uh, and so quite old. And she was saved at like 12 or something like that. And, and I was just talking to her. She's just trying to explain on some level where I'm at without giving her an existential crisis. Cause I know where she's at and she's, you know, been in the Baptist church her whole life from that period. And, um, and, uh, and, and Baptist means slightly different things in, in Europe than it does in, in America. Sure. It's a bit more uh, broad and open, but I, I tried to touch her and she's like, you know how, when you, when you look back at your faith, you have these moments where God shows he's bigger than you thought he was. And it feels like it's just, it changes everything. And you have these major moments where you change and you just see God differently. And she just looked at me deadpan, like a hundred percent serious. She really believed what she said. And she said, no, I've never once changed my belief mm. about God. And I was like, mm. all right, you're working with 65 plus years of genuinely believing you've never once changed your belief. Now I can observe her life and go, you've changed your life. Like I can yeah. see how it's changed. You've told me ways that your life changed and how you saw God differently or, you know. Um, and so, but there's this thing of like, no, we, I've never changed. And, 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 and that kind of mentality, I, I quickly just was like, oh I, yeah. And I'd let's just, whoop. you know, she's like, oh, wasn't it a nice day yesterday? Yeah. You know, I mean, let's just <laughs> change quickly before we give someone an existential crisis. Cause it's not my heart at all. Yeah. Um, yep. uh, and so there's people like that, 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 so I'm really intentionally working on, okay, I, I don't need to control this person. I don't need for this person to change. And as long as I can make sure that they aren't giving themselves a heart attack over me being me, if I can help mm -hmm. with that, I will, but otherwise I can't even help that. Yeah. The thing that fascinates, um, me about this need to control this need to guide, you know, I think about when I started understanding the grace messages, what it was commonly called my, I was like, dude, I need to let the whole world know they're wrong. And I can tell mm -hmm. you how you're wrong. If you give me five minutes, I'll convince you. If that's not oh, enough, yeah. I've got 18 <clears> weeks <throat> of material for me to tell you every single Bible verse and how it's proven that I'm right and you're wrong. It was very yeah. much like I can get you in the right belief. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that's something I really have had to work at letting go of. One of the things that I find um, the potential for this kind of concept and this way of framing life to have incredible freedom for me that I haven't seen nearly as much as I would is I'm a control freak internally. I, mm -hmm. I'm really easily prone to anxiety when things don't go my way, when things change, I'm a little bit autistic. So that's probably a, a part of it. Um, but you know, if, if something doesn't go my way or something, someone cancels last minute or, or, you know, there's a fire, you know, I'm like, ah, you know, I'm not yeah. like, you know, sitting there Zen and going, ah, oh, what is, is, and we'll just see where the river takes me. Um, yeah. how is, how is this kind of approach, um, affected you on a more personal level and how you handle life internally, as opposed to just these relational elements of like speaking to people about faith and things like that. Is that something you've seen a, a big shift or change or is, is that not something that you particularly? Um, seen? Most definitely. Most definitely. Because yeah, <clears throat> excuse me, who I was spiritually 
obviously that's who I was in the real world as well. So if I'm a control freak trying to manipulate the cosmos through prayer and fasting, I am most certainly <laughs> doing that in everyday life as well, you know, and, um, you know, with everything, wanting marriage to work a certain way, my parenting to work a certain way, everything, you know, it, I, I was very, I'm very OCD. I'm very, uh, things have to be my way when I go in the limit with I clean, you know, everything is turned at a certain angle and it's all, it matches. I mean, that's my personality. You have? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and if it's, if it's moved at all, like even in front of me right now, I have my books and my AirPod case and it's all at a particular angle. And that just makes me feel safe. And if it goes yeah. off a little bit, I'm like, Oh, I mean, so that's just how my brain works, you know? Yeah. And um, like, if my office gets even messy a little bit, I just can't work in there. And then I'll just sit, I'll just let it get messy for like a month. And then I'll, but I'll never go in it. And then I'll go in one day and just like gut it and clean it. Like, okay, now I can work here. Have the best That's three days how, of work you ever had. And then it falls exactly. apart. <laughs> yeah. Until one of the kids goes in there and it gets messed up again. And I'm like, you know, okay, three months later, I'll see you. You know, I'll see you in three months. But that's just how my brain works. Everything has to be a certain way. And I want to control things. And uh, honestly, I just think, and this isn't really that deep or profound of a principle, but I just think seeing the failure of that approach to life in areas other than the cleanliness of my office just showed me it just doesn't work and you just have to let it go. And that sounds very simple when I say it that way. It was not very simple coming to that conclusion. I was forced to come to that conclusion, you know, again, through relationships and things failing me that just weren't supposed to fail because I did things the quote unquote right way. And things like that don't happen to guys like me who order their, order their lives like this. But surprise, surprise, they happened anyways. And so what do you do with that? You have to accept it or you can live in denial. You know, And it's like, it's like that expulsion from Eden moment. Once you eat that fruit, you're not going back in. Yeah. You know, you, 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 that naivete is shattered and you can't, you can't go back that way ever again. And so I think for me, just seeing the ineffectiveness of that way of that way of living, just it doesn't work. I just can't go back there. And I've had to yeah. just learn to be still and let things be what they are and guide. And lead. again, I think parenting really tamed me with that because just really seeing the development of your children and that, man, there's nothing I can do about this. This person is on that track. They are. And if I force yeah. them off of that track, I'm going to kill them. So you just have to let it be, you know, and I don't know, just very simple things like that in life have taught me that. And I've definitely seen it. I, I, I just don't care to control anyone anymore. I really just don't. It, I've lost that desire. I exhausted myself whilst pastoring, trying to do that and seeing it doesn't work anyways. And um, man, the peace that comes just from letting the river flow and seeing what beautiful things comes of that. I mean, it's way more rewarding again, than trying to force puzzle pieces where they don't belong and then ending up with a jumbled mess at the end anyway. It's like, you know, I worked so hard to put this together, but these pieces don't match. And so I'm not even rewarded with the puzzle yeah. at the end, you know? And so, but learning, but seeing the reward of just letting things be and being like, this really does work. And it really is a better yeah. way of living. <laughs> yeah. And I, man, there's more, there's, there's this whole world of surprise and, 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 yeah you live in the moment and all these different uh, elements that, that definitely play out in that. And man, do I want <laughs> to mm. tap into that world a bit more? Um, what, what, what were, um, what were resources and, and, and people, um, 
different religions, uh, different uh, frameworks of spirituality. You mentioned people like, you know, Alan Watts, and, you know, like, I mean, mm-hmm. incredible thinkers. Who were kind of your, your guides in this? Who were the people that were holding your hand as you were kind of going through this process? Yeah. Um, well, there's a lot of them. Um, <clears throat> in my early days, um, I was not really open to anything too exotic. <laughs> you know, okay. I was yeah. beginning to see God as, um, pardon me, <clears throat> okay. I was beginning, oh, got a cough into the elbow, sorry, COVID. <laughs> um, I was beginning to see God as more gracious. Um, and, uh, but I was still, again, a little uneasy with certain thinkers. And so guys like uh, Brennan Manning were very mm. good for me in the early days, you know, yeah. and um, <clears throat> softening my heart and really, okay, here's somebody who's kind of elucidating what I'm feeling. So guys like that were great to start with. Um, the more I went down the path, uh, the Torrance brothers, C. Baxter Kruger, guys like that were pretty um, revolutionary at one point in my life and really helping me to see God as triune and really understand all that. Um, and at some point in my journey, my companions were actually people like Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens and mm-hmm. um, Lawrence Krauss and Sam Harris, <clears throat> the four horsemen of the um, new atheist yeah. apocalypse or whatever. You know, um, these actually became my <clears throat> my guides and my partners in this because they were asking questions that even the most radical of my theological partners weren't asking. And uh, I found some peace and comfort in their company that I wasn't finding anywhere else in the church. Mm. And, uh, you know, so really for a long time, I lived there. I, I listened to every debate you could ever have listened that, that that's on YouTube. I listened to everything Christopher Hitchens ever said, all this. And it really, um, it deconstructed a lot of that bad theology I had. And yeah. I think it's Simone Weil who said there's two types of atheism. Um, <clears throat> and one is a purification of the notion of God. And um, that's what I experienced in their company. And yep. so that was a phase of my life. <clears throat> um, I did go through a, a series, a, a, a time where I really studied Taoism and things like that. Okay. And yep. guys like Alan Watts were helpful in that just because he's a very, uh, he makes it very approachable. Yeah, and, um, absolutely. <clears throat> and I really came to see in that I, what I really now see as faith, you know, of just yeah. resting and letting things be and trusting. Um, so that was very helpful. Um, man, there's been, there, there's been so many, um, guys like Peter Rollins were a great help to me when I was in that more atheistic phase, Thomas Altizer, um, who wrote the gospel of, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> who wrote the gospel of Christian atheism, what back okay. in the sixties or seventies, he was a great help to me. Um, Jung was a great help to me. Um, a lot of thinkers I'm, I'm, a, I'm a mishmash of, uh, all yeah. kinds of different things and thoughts. But, um, yeah. I think one, one time I asked, god and i'm not it's like what am i like because <clears throat> like really what am i and i really felt like the, the impression i had was i've just called you to be a gatherer of fragments you know mm. and that there's there's truth and beauty and reality and all these different things that are just fragmented and out there and i just i like just finding it wherever it is yeah <clears throat> so yeah. it feels like you you know <clears throat> That's a really common thing, isn't it? This, um, this when we're when we're in a bit more of a um, conventional Christian place, maybe a bit more fundamental, a bit more black and white, a bit more dualistic of like, well, there's, there's these safe, prescribed, boxed-in worlds where it's like, I mean, how many people go, oh, don't don't look to the world for wisdom, don't no, don't don't read right. that, you know, that's another religion, or that's atheist, or that's new age, or you know, it's got to be preferably just the Bible if you can, you know, I mean, there's mm-hmm. people out there that are like, how dare you even read a 
whatever, you know, <laughs> a right. Christian book. Um, but then there is a slightly broader box that I would say the majority of Christians are like, well, you know, of course we can gain great wisdom from Christian writing. Um, but it does feel that that's then a very hard line in the sand. And it's very scary to kind of step over that. Um, it feels like you kind of just like just dove off a cliff rather than kind of stepping over a line <laughs> by, go, by going from that to like just full blown atheist kind of like, you know, your yeah. Hitchens, your Dawkins, your, uh, your Harris, you know, like amazing yeah. thinkers, wonderful thinkers. And I love that, that analogy. I don't know if you've seen, there's a really um, funny clip somewhere on YouTube. I haven't been able to find it again recently. I don't know if it got deleted, but there was a, a morning show with um, uh, Paul, uh, William Paul Young and uh, mm -hmm. Dawkins and they had them both on and they were talking about really? the shack and it was it was a morning <clears> show they had like about a minute each do you know I just hate that they do that this is why I do long form podcasts I'm like yeah, yeah. nobody says anything maybe they might yeah. think they sound profound in a minute but honestly it's nothing yeah. you know it's like let's let's right, get right. the depth of it but they basically were like um all right well Dawkins why do you think that uh the pro what do you think the problem is with the shack and he's like well the problem is that the very premise of there being a God is the issue. Like, how can anyone believe in a God that has mothers die of cancer at 40 and leave their families? Behind? How can anyone believe in a God that has kids born with no limbs? How can anyone believe in a God that sends hurricanes to destroy entire like regions of Southeast Asia? You know, that is a ridiculous notion. Anyone that believes in that kind of God is just insane. Um, and then they were, all right, well, Paul, what do you have to say? And he's like, oh, he's like, that was a beautiful articulation. He's like, I couldn't, I could not agree anymore. Thank you so much. I have nothing else to say. Like, and Dawkins's face wow. is amazing because he's just like, oh man, crap, I picked the wrong argument because yeah, wow, like, I've not created any tension here. Um, but yeah. I think that sums up that first type of atheism that you're presenting. This this atheism mm -hmm. that refines because Dawkins didn't disprove God there. What he did was mm -hmm. he said there's a very good plausible reason to disbelieve in a certain type of God. Um, yeah. But I think diving into atheism, what it, what it sounds like it did was it made a lot of these other places quite safe to explore. You know, if you've been mm -hmm. living in atheism for a couple of years, sure. I could pick yeah. up the doubt. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. what's yeah. the harm, right? It's not gonna be worse. Um, right. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> do you think, um, do, do you see, um, I'm trying to think how best to put what I was going to, I'm really intrigued by when we look at different faiths, there, there's no question there's these incredible overlaps. Um, you know, I, I've said the dive very minimally, uh, and it's something I really would love to give more time to. But when I read through it, I'm like, oh my gosh, did Jesus go for a trip to Asia? Is that why we don't know what's <laughs> between 12 and 30? Um, because right, right. he was embodying and communicating mm -hmm. some fantastic principles that were clearly already established to some degree, didn't look the same, wasn't worked out the same. I'm not saying like, you know, they were already Christian or whatever, but they definitely mm -hmm. were embodying these, um, these principles. What do you think about that? Do you, do you think that there is, do you have any onus? Because you, you still identify to some degree as a Christian. You know, you say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, Absolutely, following yeah. Christ. Yeah. Do you think that there, uh, do you have any urgency to present Christ in what you do? Or do does that have a softer dynamic or a slightly, I'm assuming it's, if at the very least, it's going to have a warped dynamic of what that looks like compared to what it did before. Um, yeah. Do you? Do you see things like people walking out the Tao? Yeah, I'm a Taoist, or I'm a Buddhist, or I'm a atheist. Do you do you have mm -hmm. a desire for people to connect with the 
the personal Christ? Do, do, do you do you have a concept of a personal Christ, or is it you yeah. see it more cosmically, more universally? <clears throat> how, how do you see well, that, and how do you yeah. see that play out in different faiths? I guess. Well, I see it as both, really. I mean, it, it, it's cosmic, therefore it can be personal. Um, but I think my job as a preacher, and I, I see myself as a preacher of the gospel, I see myself as a Christian, 100% identify with that. I I have a personal relationship with God in Christ. I mean, I can say these things now in terms that sound very old school and maybe like where we came from, but because of the yeah. journey I've been on, they mean different things to me right now. <clears throat> but I, I mean them fully. Um, but when it comes to my approach to others who maybe don't share my faith, uh, I think my job really is, it's not to reveal to them how far they are from God and how close they can get if they do what I prescribe. I think my job is to show them how close to God they already are. And I think that was Paul's strategy in Athens. I mean, he takes their own religious relics, you know, their, or their own religious, uh, symbols and, and altars. And he says, look. God has embedded himself within your own culture to the point where he's moved you to reserve an altar for an unknown God, this force that you live and move and have your being in that you feel and know is real and exists. And and your own, your own religion has resulted in the building of this, this altar of suspicion. I like to call it where you suspect Mm. that there may be something else. And it's, it's a part of your religious tradition. And I'm just here to tell you, its name, you know, yeah. and not to, not to tell you that you're so far off base. It's ridiculous. And here I am with this 100% different message. Um, no, it's, it's like, there is going to be, I think there is a revolutionary twist with the gospel, depending on what culture you're speaking to, but it's not going to be so foreign to people that they're like, this is insane. You know, mm. this is ridiculous. I don't think to the sincere seeker. Anyway, I think for the sincere seeker, everything kind of looks the same. I, I think really when you look at all cultures, the, the mystics and the ones who really take these things seriously, they're all saying the same thing. Yeah. You know, the difference is the Christian boils it down to Christ yeah. and says, this is, you know, the, the logo, the logos of Heraclitus is Christ. The Tao of the Taoist is Christ. You know what I mean? It's, and these, these ideas emerge independently of one another at the same time in history. And John comes along and is like, Oh, logos, that's Jesus. You know? Um, yeah. Chinese missionaries, they go and they're like, oh, the Tao, that's the Logos, that's Jesus. You know, I mean, I think the job of the Christian is to see where Christ has been at work throughout history in a person's life and just simply bring that out and reveal it to them and not say to them, again, not say to them, you're so far off base, Mm. so far off base. And let me show you, you know, let me, let me bless you with my wisdom and, and, make you more like me. It's, I think saying, no, man, you've had a lot of things really right here. I am just to tell you, I think I know its name, you know, and, and here's this whole other story that I think will only add to what you've been doing, not take away from it. And when, where there are aspects of things, it doesn't mean nothing will ever need to be shaved off and every practice can just be kept perfectly because not every practice is harmonious with the gospel of Jesus. Mm. So, you know, obviously that's the case as well, but I, I just think my job is to show people how close they already are and never make them feel like they're cut off and they can get on board if they just do what I did. Yeah. You know, are you familiar with Stuart Murray? He, um, he does quite a bit of writing about different things to do with Christianity, but a lot of Mm -hmm. his more modern writing, um, in the last kind of couple of decades has been about, um, 
about how Christianity or how we have a society moved into post-Christendom. So not mm -hmm. that um, we are necessarily post-Christian, but certainly the, the society that is Christendom. And, and he's, he's European, um, and so mm -hmm. this is much more our world than yours to a degree, because I know that uh, America is not yes, yet post-Christendom by any shape of the imagination. Right, right. It's maybe yeah. on its way, though. I, I do potentially believe that. Um, but certainly in Europe, the, the concept of going to church, of, of even needing to identify as Christian, like because that's where my parents were, or any of these kind of like things that historically that's where we were in Europe, that's kind of died. Um, mm -hmm. And so um, he, he posits there's an interesting dynamic where he's like, for the first time in well over a thousand years in Europe, people are able to, quote unquote, preach the gospel. Now, what he thinks preach the gospel means is maybe different to what you would say, probably different to what I would say. But his concept is like, I can go up to someone in Europe, in England and go, hey, do you know the story of Noah's Ark? And they, they're like, what's that? And he's like, that's not happened yeah. for a thousand years. Um, yeah. He's like, that's just a brand new thing in Europe. Um, and, and it's interesting how you talk about going into these um, these different faiths, different ways of seeing and framing life, the world, spirituality, and bringing Christ as a twist so that it reveals where he is, but it also subverts and twists and brings a new uh, revelation, a new thing to that culture. Um, uh, hypothesizing that perhaps Christianity as we know it in the West, in Europe and, uh, and America, and I know like we are slightly divergent in that Christianity in the West is, uh, in, in Western Europe is largely dying. Um, but hypothesizing that maybe it might not have it quite right. Uh, I think we both agree on that to some degree as a, as a, as a whole. Um, mm -hmm. What do you think if we are bringing a fresh message of Christ to the Western audience, um, that even though it's potentially becoming post-Christendom, it still has Christianity at its root. It's, what do you think of the things that it's carrying that are the message of Christ? And what do you think of the twists that um, <clears throat> potentially we are starting to see new opportunities when we bring Christ because we're bringing such a fresh message? People are, I've never heard this kind of message of, uh, of the gospel that maybe you or I would present. I'm not presuming that we would say the same thing, um, but that we would certainly say different things is what I mean by yeah. that. What, what, do, what would you see as being things that the West are embodying well uh, about Christ? And, and then what would you see the twists being uh, in those cultures? Yeah. Well, I think a lot of progressive values are, <clears throat> pardon me, I think a lot of progressive values of inclusivism and things of that nature are very, I mean, I think this is a result of the work of Christ within culture. But because we are so entrenched in Christendom, it manifests itself as a rebellion against Christianity. Oftentimes, you know, progressive mm -hmm. values often are manifest as this is a, re this is, this is the result of a breaking away rather than as a living out of these principles. <clears throat> and I think, um, I think the church has to recognize that is a good thing and to not be so quick to try to just, you know, rebuke that and, and try to stop that. No, we have to be like, this is the movement of God in history. Mm -hmm. This is, this is, this is God doing this. And, uh, um, you know, just on like the micro level, when I've seen, I've seen people who <clears throat> have gone on to be very successful in business, <clears throat> very, um, very fulfilled in their lives, but who were at first preachers and were miserable as preachers and did bad as preachers and really weren't enjoying it. Mm. <clears throat> and then they kind of went away and people 
said, oh, they're backsliding. They've lost their calling. But they actually end, they end up moving into a very fulfilling lifestyle and yeah. doing things and, and being able to provide in ways they wouldn't have otherwise. And they're totally content and they're happy. And it's like, that's what you were always supposed to do. And <clears throat> the idea that you had to be in ministry was an impediment to you becoming mm. who you are. And so the movement away from this calling was actually your movement into your calling. And, yeah. and people like that need people to come along and say, no, 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 no. This is not, you're not rebelling against God in, in making this move. You're, you're flowing with God. You're on the right path. And I think <clears throat> the movements we see even in culture towards more progressive values and things like this, the message of the church and I'm not sure if I'm actually speaking to what you asked. I apologize. No, this but, is good. This is good. Um, <clears throat> okay. I think the message of the church in this hour should be, yeah, this is it. This is God. This is the movement of God in history. This is not a rebellion. This is not a breaking away. This is actually us coming to a place where we're going to mm. more embody the reality of Christ. And so just like Paul, who's like, no, no, no. It's not that you're so off base. You can't possibly understand what I'm saying. You live and move and have your being in God. Your own poets said this. Your own, in, in writing a hymn to Zeus, they accidentally preached the gospel. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so like in doing, <clears throat> in doing things that culture might tell you is the opposite of Christianity. You're actually embodying Christianity. Yeah. And so I think that should be the job of the church in this hour to, to call out Christ in what seems even like a rebellion against Christ. This yeah. is actually a movement toward and that's even what I, you know, when I talk about atheistic theism, that's even what I mean, that there has to be this, there has, there has to be this sacred loss of God in order to find God. And yeah. that's, I think that's how it works, really. I mean, you know, Feuerbach says that gods are projections of ourselves, idealized versions of us that we project out into the cosmos, and, and, and these are our gods. And so all gods you never have a God who's a pizza delivery man because that's nobody's dream for their life. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but that's no one's dream for their life. So mm -hmm. gods are always, they do very human things, but they do them like in this ultimate sense, you know? Yeah. And so like they're versions of ourselves. It's, it's everything we wish we were, but clearly right now aren't. And we project them outward and they become our gods because we want someone to save us from where we are. Right. And so this ultimate version of ourselves could save us. Eventually they become uncoupled from us and we forget that we're projecting this mm -hmm. and these things that we project out as saviors become our tormentors because now they loom over us in perfection and make us feel less than. And so I think that's a good description of what gods are. Um, Jesus comes into the world to show us that God is exactly like us, not to show us that God is this ultimate version of us that will never become um, but he comes and he, be, he he is exactly what we are and reveals to us that you can find God right here in the flesh of daily existence. And, mm. and I think that's the big difference. That's the, all of our idols are ultimate versions of ourselves. And I think we think that if we can get to the bottom of the idol pile, we'll find the truth. And all this is other, all these calcifications and idols that have built up around the truth just need to be shattered so we can find the essence and truth. But I think most of our idols, we're not going to find God in them because it's mm. us trying to find God up there and out there. God kind of, enters in apocalyptically and shatters those illusions and says, no, I'm just like you. I'm not up there and out there. And so the shattering of the idols is a movement toward God. You know, yeah. the breaking of these things is actually the atheism. I think the new atheist movement was a move of God. You mm -hmm. know, I think the revival that in the mid nineties, everyone was saying, you know, there's a bigger one coming. There's another wave coming. I think the new atheist movement was that revival in part. And I think the present deconstruction movement is that as well. 
of course, back in the nineties, we would have never recognized this as that. (laughs) No, man, no, we (laughs) but like, I think it is, I think it is. And I think, uh, and it looks like a movement away. It looks like a great falling away, but I'm like, no, the great falling away is what we're recovering from right now, I think. And so I think the church's job right now is to, even in those arenas where it looks like we're moving away to say, no, we're moving towards. And yeah, maybe there's some things here and there, maybe we, whatever, there's some dangers and there's some uh, things to avoid pitfalls. But ultimately I think history is moving toward God. And I think that's always been the case. I think that's how it's always been going. And, and I, I think post Christianity is exactly what we need. Yeah. You know, I really do. No, I agree. I, I think there's definitely, there's a, there's a tendency for us to calcify things. So to, to solidify things so we go, okay, okay. So that's God. Well, let's build the statue and then let's look at that. And then when we go that yeah. way or we go this way, we can always just look back and go, Oh, that's God. That's where we are. And it just yeah. puts these, um, it, it solidifies us where we are. Now where we are is wonderful. How amazing we have come to where we are. That's brilliant. But to make a God in the image of where we are right now means we mm-hmm. cannot have a God of where we need to go. Um, and I think you, you've, you've captured that beautifully there. And, and I think that um, I, I often uh, have heard people said to me, you know, I've been praying for revival for decades and I didn't expect for this to be, well, if I'd known that this was what I was praying for, I wouldn't have prayed for it, right? Yeah. You wouldn't, if, yep. you had, if someone had told you know, 17 year old you, oh, when you're pacing around the pool table, what you're praying for is for people to lose their faith. So they can yep, know God. Exactly. You'd be like, wait, what? What do you mean that? That sounds heretical, you know? Um, yeah. But but in a sense, it's exactly what what this movement is. It's it's a, it's amazing, um, and it's exciting because uh, it feels like we have these major revivals throughout history. But all they do is they tear down one idol and set up a new one, or tear down a statue and set up a new one, or whatever language yep. for iconic. Uh, language we have of like this is god and this is what it is and this is christianity christianity is that we well we have a few slaves but maybe we should be nice to them you know like that's our yeah that's christianity and then we move forward and we're all starting to go does feel uncomfortable though we really shouldn't but no that's what the statue says is we should we should just be good to the slaves you know i'm glad Mm -hmm. that occasionally we go let's tear down that statue let's build a new statue up here for where we've got to um I guess what's interesting to me is as we look at the different statues we've built, if we look at these revival moments throughout history, um, you can see them constantly every few hundred years. You know, there's a famous principle that that every sort of 500 years is these major shifts. We can look at maybe the Reformation is a a major kind of shift in Christianity. And we bring ourselves to now 500 years later and we had the printing press then. Now we've got the internet. And I think that's no coincidence of why these things spark. Um, Absolutely. But it feels like there's uh, what's happening right now is not, it's, it feels like there's less of an interest to build a statue. And I think that's mm-hmm. what's exciting to me is it feels like now, I don't know if we can avoid this. I don't know if this is just a part of human nature is how we engage with the, the unknown, the ineffable, the, the, that which is beyond words, anything we can see, say, describe, taste. Um, do we always create a bit of a statue but it feels like this movement it's bucking against that to some degree it's saying no i don't want to set in stone something but actually i'd rather create a new thing that is it it, it delights in moving forward in in um it's not that we finally figured it out i guess that's the that's the mm-hmm. the, the earmark of all these revivals is is the big tagline for the revival could be we finally figured it out you know god finally yep. came to us and we now got it it's all yep. about praying for people this way. It's all about people 
repenting. It's all about people getting healed. It's all about, you know, and, and now it feels like maybe if the, there's a, it's all about, it's all about, we don't know. And maybe we should have some more humility and walk forward in yeah. a bit more grace. Um, yeah. Will we look back at that and go, we were so young, we were so, you know, whatever, <clears throat> immature as a society or not. I don't know. Um, but it does feel significantly different. Um, mm -hmm. do, do you agree with that? Or do, do you think there is a tendency of us, uh, or, or a potentiality of us repeating the same mistake? Is there, is mm -hmm. there, is there a possibility that we're not that different, that we aren't actually stepping into something that radically different, but we're just reframing the same um, story in a new way? Uh, what, what do you think about this? Do you think, I don't, I don't know, I'm trying yeah. to think what the right question is here, but I do think, I, I guess I'm concerned that every time there's these big moves of God, everyone's like, we got it. Yeah. And, and that's how it feels in a sense, not that I've got it, but actually I'm, I feel like the only thing I can say I've got it in is that, I don't have it and I can't see that yeah. changing and that's exciting yeah. to me. Um, but do you think there's potential that that's not the case? Maybe we are falling into the same pitfalls or do you think there's things we can do oh, to avoid I, that? Yeah. I mean, I definitely think we could fall into that same pitfall. Exactly what it would look like. I can't say precisely right now, you know, but um, I, as you said, every past move of God or revival, whatever you want to call it, you do end up with nothing but an idol at the end typically, you know, some changed lives, of course, um, maybe the church has been moved forward a little bit, but you are just, you're left with the statue and like Azusa street, the assemblies of God came out of Azusa street. Mm. And what did we get? 16 fundamental truths. I was an assemblies of God minister. I was an assemblies of God minister for years, every year. And I, this is nothing against the AG. They were good to me. And I enjoyed my time within, um, that denomination. But every year you have to sign a piece of paper that's saying mm -hmm. you agree with two key doctrines. There's 16 fundamental truths within the assemblies of God, but there's only two that you have to every year say you still believe. One is a pre-tribulation rapture. And the other is that speaking in tongues is the initial physical evidence yeah. of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because that's the legacy of Azusa Street. It was pre-tribulation rapture. This is the move of God preceding the rapture and the truth, the truth that came out of it. The belief that came out of it was that speaking in tongues is the initial physical evidence of the baptism of the spirit. So, there is still, you know, this was several years ago. Maybe they've changed it, but I don't think so. But that yeah, idol my was dad's still very... AOG. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, he's, he's ordained an AOG, yeah. so he still has to... But that, was, but that was the legacy of it. That comes out. That idol is still there. You know, you have to, 100 years later, do you still hold on to this? Do you still agree yeah. with this? So, like, the move of God, it's it, it solidified. It didn't, it didn't open a space where we can be open to flux and change and mystery mm. follow the cloud as it were it's like no gather around the statue don't follow the cloud you know and um i think that's a way of trying to protect and preserve the experience we had and i think individually that's why people get hooked to certain denominations and belief systems because well, let's say they were an alcoholic and then they had a radical experience at a pentecostal church well to the day they mm. die until the day they die they're going to try to say this is the truth why because yeah. they're trying to validate and hold on to the experience because yeah. wherever i had the experience it has to be real because i had this experience there and so it's like we're kind of all liquid and then we have an experience and we become a solid but i think mm. the key is to try to become a vapor <clears throat> you know where we can we can embrace a whole new way of being where there can be a little bit more transience and and movability and not just 
either being liquid or solid. You know, I think we can exist yeah. in different states. And the thing about what's going on right now is that I think it has built into it um, a mechanism to try to keep us from building an idol, you know, and that's the hope I have. <clears throat> Whether or not it's going to work out that way, I don't know. I mean, humans yeah. are master idol builders and we can, if we've, if there's something going on, we can find a way to build an idol out of it. So my hope is that <clears throat> that internal check and mechanism will keep us from doing that. But of course, who can really say? And I think, I think, I think if we err in any, uh, if, if, if there's a place where the present kind of deconstruction movement might err and what could ultimately lead to its demise and maybe a return to fundamentalism is an abandonment of all structure or an abandonment of anything being certain. Yeah. Because I think. I think the human needs certainty. You know, if you put a kid in an area where there's no borders whatsoever, they're, they're going to feel very unsafe. So mm. they do need to know that there are borders, but you can be in a state park with borders. <laughs> you know, there can be a lot to explore and it still be there. There's borders. And that's what I think Christ is. I think God looks like this. Well, that's beautiful. And once you get inside, that might sound confining or limiting, but it's liberating because once you get inside of that thing that sounds like a small confining principle, it's huge, you know, and you'll never find the end of this. But at the same time, there is safety and there are borders and there is certainty just in that God looks like this. Yeah. But within the reality of God looks like this, you're not cramped at all. There's all sorts of things to explore and you'll never find the end of it. And I think, you know, maybe if deconstruction ever, um, if, if there's a weak spot, it would maybe just be you know eliminating the concept that there's anything solid or anything certain yeah. and just everything's liquid and gelatinous and you'll never find any sacred solidity in life well i don't believe that mm -hmm. i do think there is the non-deconstructible and if you deconstruct long enough you hit that yeah. you know and um so i i think if there would there would be a place where we could err it would only be that you know and yeah. just saying that ultimately everything is deconstructible De yeah, excuse me, deconstructible and can be taken apart. But if we're coming at it from a Christian perspective and not all are, but I am. So from my perspective, there is going to be one thing that is non-deconstructible and that is God. I think Derrida said it was justice, but that's also mm -hmm. God, you know? Yeah. And uh, so I think that is something we have to bear in mind as well is that there does have to be, if you, if you take all solidity and all certainty away, you will probably have a return to fundamentalism and it might be like a, return to a rabid form of fundamentalism because everything was so liquid and gelatinous that then everyone's going to want like rock hard, Absolutely. solid certainty. Yeah. So that's my thought on that anyways, and time will tell, but yeah, no, yeah. I, I think that's yeah. Very, very, uh, yeah. I, I, I think you're, you're capturing uh, some of the, the fears that bounce around in my head of going, I feel like there's a lot of tendency that we could, fall into old habits here we might think it's completely different you know it's like yeah it's earlier a, it's you're an talking idol about, all the same right yep. exactly well you're talking earlier about um you know we all think we want the best for our kids and blah blah and even like the very progressive kids like, they can be whatever they want well if you let a progressive parent go they can be whatever they want and then the kid goes i'm really conservative and i'm like really yep. right wing and i'm really whatever the progressive would hate very quickly yep. realize oh no i still have my <laughs> my idea and i'm very upset about it not being exactly that way. 
Um, yep. And so I think, yeah, absolutely, these tendencies are there. Um, Jeff, we're, we're, we're running out of time, but we should, we should have okay. you back on at some point and we could talk about I'd love to, man. 110 love different to. things. Yeah. I mean, honestly, oh, was, yeah. <laughs> I had a list of about 30 different topics that we could talk about, and I don't think I spoke about one of them. You know, I, was just like, <laughs> I was just like, this is just great uh, where we're going. Um, letting be what, what, what is, you know, and loving what is. That's, that's what it's about, right? Um, for yeah. people that uh, aren't familiar with you, um, I, to be honest, with you, a lot of my audience should be. I recommend your stuff a lot. I, I kind of point them towards your books and stuff like that. But can you let them know? I mean, there's your book, Atheistic Theist. Um, fantastic. Yeah. I'll, I'll put a link to that in the show notes for sure. Um, how do people follow you, track with you? You know, you're, you're putting out a lot of great stuff as far as thoughts and, and, um, and material. Like, what's the best way for them to engage with that? Yeah, I mean, I do have a website. It is presently under construction. So if you go there, you're not going to find anything right now. And I apologize for that. But for future reference, it is mm -hmm. jeff-turner.com. jeff-turner.com. Um, probably the best way to connect with me is on social media. I, um, I do much more on Facebook than I do any other platform right now. And that's probably just because I'm getting old. Um, but I was to say, man, you're showing I, your age. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. You're not, you're not preaching to... the gospel on TikTok, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's my next one. I'm going to come up with some great dances and things and change the world. But um, I'm trying to be more active on Instagram and things like that. Um, Instagram is where but, I'm at, man. I love it. Yeah. yeah. But, it, <laughs> but if you connect with... Days. No, I know. You're very good on that. I, I admire that. I'm trying to... It, uh, it makes me sad, though, because I don't see way. your stuff as much because I can't face... Oh, Facebook drives me insane. But I miss out on people no, that are just I know. there. So I'm, I'm an evangelist. So I'm drawing does, you in. <laughs> exactly. But I know a lot I'm of people coming. are on Facebook. So... yeah. If you do connect with me there, though, you can get, um, if you just look up Jeff Turner, um, I'm usually the first one that pops up. I'll put the link so, in the show notes for people that are okay. watching or seeing as well. You can find it below or whatever. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah. Also, I have a couple books out. If you hopped on Amazon, I, I just I just happen to have a copy of them laying in front of me. Oh, um, here we go. But, Visual uh, demonstration. The yes. The Atheistic Theist. This is my newest book. Um, it's a lot of what we were talking about today and then some. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's actually on sale uh, for $2.99 on Kindle right now. Nice. And, um, then I have saints in the arms of a happy God, which is my first book that I wrote. Yes. Um, it's about 400 some plus pages just of theology and kind of taking apart some of the evangelical myths that I grew up struggling with. Um, yeah, but both of those are available. If you, um, you, you can check me out on YouTube. Oh man. Um, look up Jeff Turner. See, see, I'm so bad at social media these days. I don't even remember what my, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll send you a I'll link get, and maybe we I'll can put it in the, notes. in the show notes. So I, there we go. I'll, there we go. I'll, I'll be following them on YouTube and things like that so okay. I can find them quite easily. I, I used to be obsessed with all this stuff and on it all. And life has gotten busy the last couple of years. So I'm not yeah. as on top of things as I, I used agree. to be. But, um, but if you connect with me on Facebook, I usually, you can connect with me in every other way if you connect with me yeah. there. And um, I'm pretty active on there as well. So, yeah. but yeah, if you grab one of the books, it helps us keep doing what we're doing and writing and staying on the road, traveling and well, because we probably won't be on the road traveling and speaking Not for, a, for while. a while, things like that really do help us to keep yeah. going. So, you know, if someone wanted to grab it, that would be a, that would be a blessing to my family. Nice. And you've got, Thank do you have a Patreon or something for people to support you? I do actually patreon.com slash religionless. Um, I regularly upload new messages and things to there. Um, and yeah, that's a fantastic help as well. Actually, I'm getting ready to launch a podcast. Actually, Phil and I, we were supposed to record an episode for my podcast today as well. But um, my, my time is a bit limited, more limited today than I was hoping for it to be. But the, the name of the podcast is just going to be called Religionless. Religionless. And I've got some great interviews set up and um, 
it's I'm really excited about launching it. And I'm using this quarantine season to try to get all of that done and organized and ready to go. So Dude, everyone's stuck with, in their home. Yeah. It's perfect, right? I know. You, you're it, trying to raise people and they're like, well, yeah, I guess I'm just sitting at home. I could do something. Yeah. <laughs> it's fantastic. So many things that I would have never had the time to do. I'm finally yeah. getting the chance to do. I said, I told my wife, it's like the scene in all the X-Men movies where, oh, who's the, who's a Quicksilver, right? The guy who's super fast, I believe. Well, okay, yeah. there's versions of this in all kinds of movies, but where he just starts to move at hyperspeed and everything else seems to slow down. So and slow. You're, you're in this impossible situation where there's no way you're going to get out of it. But now it's slowed down to the point where you can just go and make these little tiny tweaks. And then when everything returns to normal, you'll be left with a completely different scenario. And that's kind of what I'm using this to do. All these things that I've been meaning to nice. do for years, but haven't had the time to do, just making these little tweaks and alterations. And hopefully when the world returns... I'll be I'll have something else on my hands. Place. Nice. That's what I'm hoping for, man. But nice. we'll see. But is that me trying to manipulate? I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? So I've got to I've got to ask yep. as well. So you said yes. your latest book, Atheist is Theist. That's not a new book, right? When, when did you write that? It's actually that not. While back, like yeah. Oddly enough, I I can't even believe it's been three, this long. But it four? actually came out in November of 2016. So four it's years. coming up on four years. Oh yeah, four up. years yeah, ago. Three, four, yeah. Which I can't. I really yeah. can't believe it's so, that old, but. You've I'm got to be writing something else, right? right now. Yes, I am. Okay. I'm, I'm writing several things, um, but the the sequel to this book is called A Sacred Yes, and that comes from the Nietzschean parable of the camel, lion, and child. Um, so it's kind of a sequel to this. Like the atheistic theist was kind of about the power of no. <laughs> it was kind of about you know mm. what we say no to, and this is more about what we say yes to, and uh, it's called A Sacred Yes: Christianity for the Deconstructed. Um, nice. So I'm working on that, and I'm hoping to have that like finished, not finished to where it can be purchased, sure. written by June. Um, nice. okay. And then I'm so probably so that's, seeing it by the, the end hope. of the year, at least. Yeah, that is the hope. Yeah. So I'm hoping by fall, everything will be edited and ready to go. Yeah. I'm also working on a novel right now. And this is the thing I'm working okay. the hardest on. Um, and I'm really, really excited about it. And also it's I've never done anything like this before. So it's kind of a new adventure. But um, the working title is just 12 right now. And it's actually a theological, philosophical horror story, and I'm writing wow. it in the I'm writing it in the style of um, of like a ghost story, horror story, and um, it's actually about the experience of deconstruction and rediscovering who one is in the mm -hmm. aftermath of that. And it's going to be really, you know, more of an allegory. It's not going to be real heavy with sure. Jesus Jesus showing up and stuff like that. But um, it's it's uh, I'm, I'm really trying to encapsulate the journey I've been on for the last decade, but in this in this format. And uh, I don't know when that'll be done. I'm going to give myself some room with that just because I've never yeah. written a novel before. So it's I'm going to say hopefully dynamic, right? Oh, man, it's it is a completely yeah. different type of writing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So but yeah, the next book I'm hoping to be out by fall. And then that one I'm going to say probably about maybe a year just to give myself some space to work on it. But, awesome. Yep. Nice, yep. dude. I, I can't yeah. wait. But uh, I can't wait to we, yeah. we get to chat again. I mean, I'm looking forward to being on your podcast. We'll definitely have you back on yes. this. Um, I'm, really, I'm I'm planning on bashing out two every week now. I'm, I'm loving like nice. doing these and just chatting to people. Um, so I'm like, well, yeah. I just going to keep doing it. So it'll be before long, I'm going to run out of people and immediately be like, oh, who, should, who do I want to have back? You're going to be one of the top of my list. Trust me. Uh, I'd love to, man. We'll, I'd we'll love definitely. to. I feel there's just so much more... Um, wisdom to be pulled out of you for sure and, and like i said you know like when i look at people that are putting out stuff online when i'm reading stuff um i read the whole gamut like i see all of it and and, and i love all of it as well it's really fascinating and i'm learning from people even that are radically fundamental at times and, and going wow mm -hmm. there's, there's something in this for me 
um, if only helping me integrate my own self uh, a little bit. But when yes. I look at your stuff, uh, you're one of the people I read and I go, oh, you're where I want to go. Um, and you know, the people that pull you forward. Um, and, and there's people that are where I need to go that I don't recognize or I don't like or, you know, whatever. That's just part sure. of the nature of it. But there's people that are, are just um, in those places where you're like, oh, that's drawing me in. It's drawing me in. People like Richard Rohr, people like yourself, I'm like, they, they, they see something and are approaching something in a way that I know I need to move into. Um, and so I really appreciate what you're doing. Honestly, it's, it's absolutely incredibly important work. Um, and so I appreciate that, man. Really appreciate you coming on to do this as well. Yeah. yeah. I appreciate you having me, man. I've had a good time. Really enjoyed it. Awesome. Cool. Yes. Well, I hope you have a good day. Hope you get all the stuff you need to Thanks, do. Man. What is it that you do day in, day out? Do you, do you have a job um, as well? I do. I work a day job. I won't say where just because people are okay, trying to yeah, get, yeah. get, get a hold of me. Um, I've had stuff like that before, but yeah, <laughs> I do work a day job. My wife and I both do, um, just, keep the SS Turner afloat and um, in uncertain times like these, I'm grateful that we have it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Has it been affected by stuff with pandemic stuff or are you able to work from home mostly? And stuff? Thankfully we're both able to, to work yeah. from home and uh, we, we haven't really been affected. Thank, you know, thank God for that. I know a lot yeah. have. And so I, you know, I kind of feel bad yeah. because for us, this has really just been a time to focus and, and, and get some mm-hmm. things completed that we wouldn't otherwise have. And uh, I kind of feel bad because as an introvert, uh, I'm actually really yeah. enjoying the time and I, it also, you know, have to keep in mind that others are not having the same experience that so, I am, but yeah, yeah, thankfully for us, I, I'm very grateful. We've been able to, um, just maintain normal life. Uh, but yeah. That's great. I'm really glad to hear. Yeah. Cool. Well, yes. have a good day, man. Um, thanks really, a lot, man. really great to finally see each other in person and yeah. Absolutely. Man. Again. And yeah, just let, right. let me know when you're wanting to record and, and we'll get something done for sure. We'll do man. All right. All right. Love you, man. Love you too. Peace. Yeah. All right, that was Jeff Turner. Hope you enjoyed that. I certainly did. What a, a great honor to have him on and, and kind of talking about the process of deconstructing and um, all that that entails and, and all sorts of fascinating and wonderful topics. Um, I do encourage you to check out more of his stuff. Um, Atheistic Theist is a fantastic book. If you're looking for a good read, I really recommend that. It's on my book list and I'll include the link um, to it on Amazon or something in, in the show notes. Um, as of right now, uh, his website is down, so uh, it might still be down when you listen to this podcast, but it's jeff-turner.com, as he mentioned, um, and so hopefully that's back up and running by the time you listen to this podcast. Um, and probably the best place that I know of him posting stuff, uh, and I know he mentioned it, is his Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash min m-i-n which i assume is short for ministries maybe a holdover from uh uh previous times and so yeah uh check out his facebook i'll include a, a link to that in the show notes as well um he's got a youtube patreon all his good stuff um it, you'll probably find through facebook and and hopefully through his website when that comes back up um awesome great well uh i'll finish up there uh just one last shout out is um the deconstruction network i would love for you guys to um be connecting with other people that are going through deconstruction i know it's a really lonely process but it doesn't necessarily have to be there are people all around the world that are going through this and and so hopefully through the deconstruction network we can try and help people find others going through this journey in their local areas and so do check that out it's a free resource helps you connect with other people and we're also doing um, great research that is hopefully changing in the narrative
perspective around the process of deconstruction, hoping, hopefully giving some clear data and statistics um, to who the group of Christians uh, that are deconstructing is. Um, and so it would be really great to have you involved with that as well. It's just five minute surveys every couple of months. And so it's not a big commitment by any means. And you can bail at any point. Um, but yeah, I would encourage you to check that out. And if you want to support what I'm doing, putting out all this free stuff, um, I, I will never charge for any of this, um, but I can't promise I won't have to stop doing it full time if I don't have the income. And so um, people that give, um, you know, just five bucks a month or something, uh, it makes a huge difference and it helps make this possible. And you can do that at thegracecourse.com. Um, which of course has um, uh, everything on there is free and it's a whole bunch of free teachings and stuff as well but it's a great way to um, partner with what I'm doing and we do a monthly partners chat on Zoom and things like that. Anyway, I'll leave you for now and I'll see you for the next uh, podcast.